0: Thanks, man. Keep it safe. Hey, look. You have a message. It's gone on the raft. You know, dear mom, everything's fine. I'm on the island. Unless, of course, the black smoke people turn up. Love, your name here. When they get rescued, they can contact your family. Message in a bottle. Hmm. That's sweet. You ready? Here you
1: go. Okay. Don't look at it. You got it. Dude!
0: Is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on post-show recaps. And season one is over, but we are still talking about it here in the feedback special for season one on Down the Hatch. We are looking back on the first season of Lost. We are going to be looking ahead at the second season of Lost, and here to to to, to push the buttons with me all the way through till. Till the end of time, potentially, depending on how long this podcast goes. It's Mike Bloom. Mike, I know for the listeners, it's just been the normal, oh, a week. The week between losts. But as we've been hyping along the way with our binge recording schedule, uh, Mike Bloom, for you and I, this is the first time we've been on the mic together in over a month or so at this point.
1: I am so excited to I hear your you. voice. I've been, I miss you too. I've been talking to the microphone. This isn't gonna play for, for anybody else, but for you and I, it actually has been a long time. Yeah, this is a moment that happens to be very intimate between the two of us. That happens to be broadcast out yeah. to a select number of people, yeah. so it feels intimate and less at the same time. Yes. I've been talking to a microphone for a month, Josh, saying we're the podcasters behind the lost weekly we watch podcast but all i've been hearing back is no we're the ones a lot like me though apparently listening back it doesn't sound like me so i'm very confused mike
0: boone
1: <laughs> oh no please we've i guess we can memorialize him if i formally change my last name though that's very much going to confuse my wife and son who have my current
0: last name Yeah. so wait you would change it and they wouldn't yeah, exactly. I think it would I mean, have to Mike a family Boone, yeah. Angela Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of odd things are happening right out the gate here, and that is uh, only fitting as so many odd things are happening in the Lost universe in this place that we have found ourselves, the nexus point between seasons one and season two. And and I believe uh, this podcast is basically a palate cleanser. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's entirely possible that uh, you know we release these on Fridays. This is coming up very soon, um, but there is very very high probability I feel like that people are not going to be listening to this podcast as soon as it drops. Uh, considering we released a five hour Exodus, but bo- <laughs> yeah, we really
1: set up a nice buffer, Josh. Of like let's give a we'll give ourselves some lead time. Here's a nice distraction of five hours of us prattling oh, on, doing arsed impressions yeah. back and forth.
0: Yeah, but but I I think uh, with that being the longest of the of the down the hatch podcasts my my expectation is today we will be uh, delivering one of the shortest down the hatch podcasts to date. Uh we don't have any uh we don't have any sounds that we're listening to along the way. It's all feedback all the time as we're catching up on the feedback that you all sent in uh over the past few weeks that we've been holding on to for this show down the hatchetposher recaps dot com is our email address to send all of that p- feedback in uh for for this week and the weeks ahead where we will be recording in a fashion where we will be able to entertain your uh feedback. Uh, from a week to week basis. So I'm very excited about getting back into the normal swing of things. As always, uh, Mike and I record these podcasts on Tuesday afternoons, so your feedback is appreciated by Monday evenings, Tuesday mornings at the very, very, very latest. Uh, if you have not subscribed to Down the Hatch already, strongly encourage that you do that. Post show com slash down the hatch gets you to our main feed, but you can find us on your podcast app of choice and before we dig into lost uh let's take a quick second to to thank our sponsors for this episode here at down the hatch and it is a, a very relevant sponsor uh considering what else we're talking about here on post show recaps star trek picard and mike bloom oh. i know that you're you've been beamed up thoroughly alongside the great jessica leese. Oh, my, my
1: nose is bleeding, Josh. There's too many realities and timelines crossing into one another. Ironically, we're going to be talking about a show in which they're also arguing about <laughs> timelines crossing right. into one another, too. It's just layers upon layers. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Jess and Mike have been talking about Star Trek over the past several weeks. If you have not been listening to that, you absolutely ought to go and do that. And of course, Star Trek Picard has arrived. It's now streaming only on CBS All Access and in Star Trek Picard, aptly named a legend returns. Sir Patrick Stewart is reprising his iconic role as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in the highly anticipated original series Star Trek Picard. Follow this hero on an unexpected mission as he travels into the far reaches of the galaxy and battles against the odds to fight for what's right. With help from a new crew of complicated, funny, and memorable characters, Picard's boundary-pushing adventure promises to extend the captain's legacy, defying expectations along the way. Stuart's also going to be joined by beloved cast members from across the Star Trek universe, including Brent Spiner, Jerry Ryan, and Jonathan Frakes. My man, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, I'm a big uh, Commander Riker, uh, Stan, myself here in this house. Emily Fox and I, we, uh, we Stan uh, William Riker.
1: Is that why you're sitting currently astride yes. your chair as you're talking I me right now? I
0: always mount my chair uh, the way that, that Riker attacks the chair. Uh, is very much the way that I sit down as well. So the journey it's about to begin. Sign up today for CBS All Access by visiting cbs.com slash post show. That's cbs.com slash post show. Get your first week of CBS All Access for free and stream Star Trek Picard now, very excited about uh Star Trek Picard being uh on our uh oh. on our collective consciousness. This is a very exciting as a as a big next gen guy, this is just a, a really wonderful time.
1: I mean, we're also talking about a uh, we're pontificating upon a show, then we're trying to, you know, make something old, something new and they are taking something old, making it new, and making it so as well. So I am so excited. Do you think Locke would call Picard a piss poor captain? Yeah. Do you think he, would, <laughs> he doesn't you think know. he would share like, the lack of hair between them as the only. Actually, I would say Cisco went bald, he at went a bald point as He went well. bald as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like, I don't know. I think uh, I think Locke may have some captain envy uh, going up against Jean Luc. Uh, to me, there's no question who is the greater leader between Jean Luc Picard and Jean uh, Locke. Jean Luc Locke. I don't know. I was trying uh, to do Picard, big, uh, John Locke Picard. John Locke John You Picard. Yeah, the USS Beachcraft. <laughs> yeah, we're shipping it. We're shipping it. All right. Well, let's get in to feedback here uh for for the end of season 1 as really what we're doing. We're all just taking a breath. Uh if you're still working your way through that five-hour exodus. Unless you're boom. Unless you're you breath. No more breaths, <laughs> yeah. No more breaths for you. Uh, but we're just taking a breath here as you're you're still working your way through that five-hour exodus, I am sure, or maybe you're not. Uh, but but here, this feedback show is going to to get us on ramped for uh season two, which we will start podcasting about next week. That podcast for Man of Science, Man of Faith will drop January 31st. Um, Mike. Uh let's start by talking about characters. Let's 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 drill down into the thing that really matters here in the Lost universe and it's it's the people, man. It's the friends we made along the way. And we'll talk about a lot of these characters on an individual level, but just kind of generally uh, as we're using this as a space to like take a pause, look back on season 1, things that surprised us, things that aligned with what our expectations were coming into it. What are some of your character takeaways from season 1?
1: So Lost, I think, fundamentally is remembered as an ensemble show, right? I remember that big-ass panoramic poster for season six that had every character and their mother, some of which were mothers, (laughs) strewn (laughs) across it from all the seasons. And we certainly remember, you know, the big batch of characters that live on the island in some way, shape, or form. But I certainly do think... That as Lost gets later in its run, I think it certainly preps some characters above others. You know, I think we can certainly talk about the stratification of Lost characters when it comes to airtime, how, you know, maybe certain characters' episodes would be fewer and far between than your Jack episodes or your Locke episodes, for example. But what season one does is it's still in that ensemble building mode you know it it really is a fun microcosm of not only building out a society on the island but building out a society of characters as well and so to that point i mean the first 10 episodes basically almost the first half of the season we don't have a repeat flashback you know we're going to different characters even after we start looping back a bit with jack and kate episodes then we get hearts and minds then we get special, you know, we're, we're still showing new things. Then we get numbers. We're still showing new elements of these newer characters. And so something that I had personally forgotten and something that got really lost in the annals, I think, of what we look at as a series with Lost is just how much that first season really let us take the time to know these characters, especially, you know, and not to get too granular into things, because I'm sure we'll get into it, but someone like Boone, for example... I think if you give the elevator pitch on Boone, it's, okay, he's uh, the whiny kid who dies. And I guess I had sort of forgotten how much, I wouldn't say dimension that Boone is given, but just the amount of screen time he's surprisingly given right. for someone who's only going to last 20 episodes out of the, you know, 100 plus that Lost is going to have.
0: Uh, yeah, and I, I think that that is why, you know, I'm, uh, season one is always going to be my favorite season of Lost. And oh, great. it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the, it's the season where I fell in love with the show. Um, that's, that's first and foremost. Um, and, and I do think that it's, it's a bit of a different experience based on where you met Lost. Like, did you, did you binge all of Lost because you heard about it later? Or were you watching week to week? Or at least were you watching, like, did you find it at some point, um, while it was still airing? Uh, and, and I think for me as somebody who is an almost day one Lost fan, um, just the experience of discovering the island through season one is something that i'll I'll absolutely never forget and and so much of that was was character driven and the show is about to go off the rails in a fantastic way uh really you know certainly the deeper we get into the show but season two really takes a swing uh towards the sci-fi and and towards like uh you know bringing uh bringing the the office into not the show uh but bringing i was like, gonna say what bringing off <laughs> there, there was that uh <laughs> that
1: conan emmy's uh teaser i believe where he climbed through multiple sets including lost and the office right so i guess there's some connective tissue there
0: yeah i i think that one of the one of the things that that i i, I don't think that like we could have had a time travel season we couldn't have had a hatch season if not for the fact that we are grounded in the reality of these people, uh, and mm-hmm. there's something so evergreen about the way these people are painted, um, that even though there are many ways in which this show uh, reveals itself as you know an early 2000s drama, I, I think here we are in 2020 now, uh, and it is it is still something where a lot of that material just feels modern. I think that there's like a modern sensibility to a lot of the storytelling, maybe not everything. um, But, but, uh, but uh, there's just sort of this like classic quality about these characters that uh, I've always loved and appreciated about lost uh, and going through season one um, really only reinforced. So I don't know that there's too much that I, that I see differently from a character level other than it really just made me appreciate these people so much uh, and and just got me so hyped for the fact that like they are in our lives for the next year or two years, something like that, as we're going down the hatch.
1: I want to go back to the point that you made, because, again, this is our umpteenth rewatch, especially of season one, but, you know, we are watching this in the lens of 2019 going into 2020, and I think you and I can both agree that despite it airing 15-plus years ago, it
0: still holds up. I think so. I think, pretty easily.
1: Yeah. And I I think, again, that speaks towards, yes, maybe Sawyer is not necessarily wearing what's fashionable now. Or sometimes nothing at all. Exactly. Maybe some of the sketching of characters and the way they personify certain things like mental illness is not done with the most care like it might be nowadays. But it speaks towards the fundamental characteristics of humanity that are at the core of Lost, that are the heart of the island and the heart of its show, and it shows those are universal truths. Yeah. And that makes me very happy because I feel like when you pontificate on some shows that are considered classic, sometimes those don't carry out. Sometimes they're considered, you know, classic in their day for a reason. But I-, I know we've experienced this firsthand as well from certain people that have watching Lost for the first time, maybe along with the podcast as well, that, you know, it, it does hold up. And it's also interesting to, you know, again, think about its historical perspective about how much it changed television as well, especially that first season. You can really pick out elements and say, oh yeah, you can see that in any modern TV show, and that's because this is the reason why. Yeah. This was the granddaddy. This was Johnny Appleseed planting those seeds, and now we have plenty of orchards to enjoy nowadays.
0: All right, let's talk about some individual characters by way of feedback from you, the hatchlings, Uh, and let's talk about uh, Captain John Luke, John Locke. Uh, Here, Stefan Johnson had written in, Uh, with this question Uh, one of the things that surprised me on this detailed rewatch is how dumb many of Locke's decisions are now we know why he failed Richard's test he hits (laughs) Saeed he keeps the hatch a secret he kind of kills Boone he lies about that Um, what do you think is John Locke a dumb dumb is that is that a new take that you have going through this rewatch Mike
1: Well, I said this, I believe, during our Walkabout podcast, but it's something that has really endeared me to the character of John Locke, because I will admit, the first time we watched it, especially with the way that things ended, I was not the most ginormous Locke fan, because he was coming across as a bit of a know-it-all, who, to Stefan's point, was wrong a good amount of the time. But I have so much more appreciation for the character now, because that proves he's human. right? You know, he is not this sage person And even loss is going to prove that even though the sagest person in someone like Jacob is also going to be wrong sometimes. You know, it's proving that even if you have an idea in your head and you're preaching some sort of wisdom, that does not make you infallible to being incorrect. And something that I've really looked at from Locke's arc this season was, and it reflects in our MVP points as well, is this really interesting transformation of how, you know, he started off as really this wise older man who knew everything about everything, apparently, in the few first, I'd say, half of the season. Then the wheels started to fall off of that trebuchet, as it were, as the season went along, to where we get to the deus ex machina, do no harm of it all, where everyone has lost their trust in him, he's developed a schism with Jack, and even just over the course of one season, I know we have so much further to go with John Locke, but just looking at that rise and fall over the course of one season... It's so interesting to me. You know, it's, it's like looking at a painting, and the closer you get to it, the more you see the cracks in the oil. You know, like the little imperfections. I feel like that's what we experienced with John Locke. Really cool character from the outset, this mysterious man throwing knives, but the more we got to know him and the more we got to see him, the more we realized, oh yeah, he's, uh, he's just not, not as much of a master of everything as he claims he is.
0: Yeah, he's a full-on Monet, as they say in Clueless. Uh, it's like a painting. From far away, it's okay, but up close, yeah. it's a big old mess.
1: And John is a virgin, but he can drive. <laughs> John- <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. John Locke, a full on Monet. This is the insight that you're getting uh, from us at the end of season one on Down the Hatch. Kelly Priest had written in uh, with more on John Locke. Uh, Kelly writes, I've never really been a John Locke fan, which is why it's been so interesting hearing you guys talk about him from the perspective of Locke fans and having him be one of your favorites on the show. It's really helped my perspective on this character. Hearing you say that one of the main things to understand about him is that he does fail and doesn't always know what the right thing to do is however given that i still don't find him that enjoyable to watch he comes across as so pathetic in his flashbacks that i find it uncomfortable to watch and on the island his decisions can be so aggravating and illogical that it's irritating to watch at times I don't actively dislike the character, but I'm still at, I'm still not at the stage where I can say I understand or get him. I still don't really understand who he is. Let's hear your thoughts on this, and hope you can turn me around to become a fan of Locke. Well, Kelly, I would say just stay tuned uh, for for the the further down the hatch we go with our discussions of John Locke, because I think we're just going to drill down deeper into all of the things um, uh, that that we've said about him. Uh, the fact that we love the fact that he's a full on modé that that's like the reason why John Locke is such a beautiful work of art in, in my my mind but maybe one thing um that I don't stress enough is yeah I think what what Kelly is talking about a lot is uh is writing right that you right. know He's so pathetic in his flashbacks and it's uncomfortable to watch. Uh, his decisions on the island are illogical and aggravating sometimes that it can be irritating. Um, that's writing stuff. Uh, and I think the more and more time you meditate on who John Locke is, the bad decisions he makes, what he stands for as well, and how that all interacts with the core messages of Lost, um, the more you stand a chance at appreciating his character function at the very least, if not appreciating the character itself. But one thing I don't say enough is just Terry Quinn, man. Mm. Terry Quinn, the actor who brings John Locke to life, there is just there is something about him that is uh magnetic and staggering and uh, you know, yes, pathetic and uncomfortable, which is which is gold to me, you know, like that is uh, it is so moving the way that he played John Locke, uh, the way he so fully embodied him, uh, the the craft that is involved from an actor who can at one, um, you know, in one episode sell you on the fact that this might be the wisest person to have ever existed. And then in the very next episode, just reveal how much of a fool he is uh, and to go there. And I think you, you hear some stuff from Terry O'Quinn the actor talking about John Locke, where he himself wasn't always the biggest John Locke fan. Uh, he himself, as we're about to get into a very frustrating arc. For him in season two uh, is somebody that uh, that that really was frustrated with the John Locke storyline as well. And I think that that translates really beautifully in the performance. Um, So that that is a big piece of it for most of the characters on Lost for me uh, that, you know, we we talk about the character as if it's a real human being. And that's a credit to the writing, uh, but it's also a credit to the performance. And I think that we also ought to spend more time talking about the performance itself and the performer, him or herself, um, because as it pertains to John Locke, just the masterful way in which Terry O'Quinn plays him is an enormous part of the reason why he's my favorite character.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look no further than the end of Deus Ex Machina, which is still such a powerful ending where I don't know many other actors that can pull off both the flashback and the on-island anger and sadness followed up by a brief glimmer of ecstasy that Terry O'Quinn's able to pull off there. To Kelly's point, and maybe we're skipping ahead to looking down the hatch quite literally as they do at the end of season one, but I will say I understand her assessment of Locke from a macro perspective when you look at it through the flashbacks. Mm -hmm. We talked about this with Jack and Kate, but we're going to start getting into this a bit with Locke as well, where we're going to do a lot of Locke flashbacks where we're just going to see how hard of a life he had and it is sort of beating that drum over and over and over again to the point where i could understand and maybe that was one of my initial trepidations with a lock character as you know especially someone who was dealing with a lot of uh unmitigated anxiety at that point i didn't like to see a character suffer on television that's why it took me so long to get to network drama in the first place and to see this character just be the joe black figure consistently beaten down can be very depressing you know it's almost akin to like watching death of a salesman right you know knowing that willie Loman is just someone who every, you everything is going his way and then sisyphus's boulder rolls back down the hill and he's at it again and there is beauty in that struggle but at the same time it can be difficult to watch sometimes and so i do see kelly's point when we're looking at it from all the john Locke we're going to watch but at least from what we've seen so far with Locke, i cannot agree more i think between Terry Quinn and the two flashback episodes so far, which have been by far the most gripping flashbacks we've seen all season it's been a good start for him, even if he doesn't end great from, you know, an island MVP perspective.
0: The great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell himself, uh, wants to to get a word in here on the John Locke of it all. And this is from Ben. Uh, ben writes, he didn't really hit on it on the Exodus podcast, but for all of the things Locke gets wrong, there's one aspect in which he's 100% correct, which no one else understands, and it's literally the most important thing to have right, since it will ultimately save the world. He says in Exodus. Do you really think all this is an accident? That we, a group of strangers, survived, many of us just with superficial injuries? Do you think we crashed on this place by coincidence, especially this place? We were brought here for a purpose, for a reason. All of us. Each one of us was brought here for a reason. The island. The island brought us here. This is no ordinary place. You've seen that. I know you have. But the island chose you too, Jack. It's destiny. That's the Locke quote. And Ben continues, Locke's faith takes him in many wrong directions as he seems unable to recognize good from bad, wisdom from foolishness, and it leads him to his death. But in the end, his faith is completely vindicated. So often on TV, faith is presented as a linear journey without resolution. To see Locke's faith presented as nonlinear with so many crises and yet to ultimately get the conclusion we get, this is what makes him such a great character. To me uh that's from ben and and to add to that thought um and i feel like i've articulated it before maybe i haven't um that i know that there's a lot of people who feel really unsatisfied about the Locke ending that like only when you're regarding the sideways can you can you really account for the fact that like Locke gets to see the fruit of his labor right that mm. you know in in reality like taking all of the sideways stuff out of it he dies before he gets to see um, that he was right all along. So is that an unsatisfying arc for Locke? And for me, no. Like the the satisfaction is very much derived from the fact that um, what he was pursuing and what he believed in gets picked up in in a way that that really honors him. Uh, that really does prove retroactively that a lot of what he believed was right. And I don't think. And maybe the show is a little more apologetic about it. Than it ought to be. Um, I, I do think that there there are still tremendous cautionary tales to be told about, like the the perils of uh, of faith versus fanaticism, for instance. Right. Uh, that that are still very present in the Locke story, even though faith is ultimately rewarded in in Jack kind of signing on that John Locke was right. Um, I don't think that that takes away for me, anyway. Uh, from the idea that Locke still didn't question enough, and he probably ought to have questioned things a little bit better. Um, right. But that's a but that's a big piece of it, and I think that Ben is is hitting on something that uh, is is a real huge element of why I left the Locke character.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the cautionary tale that we learn from Locke is that, and from Jack as well, from a lot of these characters' journeys, is that faith is a gradient. Uh, I do not think it works well for any of us in this world. To believe absolutely one way or the other, you know, with when it comes to a a certain sect of things, you know, I think that if you take the time to sort of pick and choose what you choose to believe in, I think that's going to leave you uh, more well-rounded, but also more open-minded to a lot of things. Because as Ben points out, the reason why Locke suffers is because he's so devoted to one cause that yes, part of it is going to be correct, but it almost results in his end because of it and you know i think we'll see from other characters even someone like hurley the things he chooses to sort of open himself up to and the other ones he chooses to you know go with his own gut to move forward with rather than trust what someone presents in front of him i feel like that's the way you should like take life on and i feel like Locke represents a certain part of that if not you know uh not necessarily do as i say not as i do but more so hey take what i did and maybe dial it back a little bit
0: just a touch (laughs) Just a touch. Just a touch. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, let's start talking about a different character anyway by way of John Locke. This is from Riley Wigmore. Uh, it It makes more sense to Riley than it did to you and I, I think, why Locke knocked out Saeed uh, all the way back in, uh, in The Moth. Riley writes, Every other character is accounted for in the episode, and Locke is the only main character left alone for a long enough period to do it. My girlfriend figured it out on her first watch, and she trusts Locke is skilled enough to knock Saeed out and still prepare a bore uh i i don't know how much you want to relitigate that versus using that as like a a launch pad into the saeed jarrah conversation uh does Locke knocking out saeed uh at the end of the season uh here we are with the with the end of the season feedback does it play any differently for you at this point are you still kind of in like that there had to be a chef jeff out there somewhere to make (laughs) this work
1: I mean, listen, I'm going to try to put out my crazy theories as much as possible I to, d- to double down on that. But I guess if you're talking about like the whole murder mystery thing, right, of like everyone else had an alibi except Locke, I could understand it. But I don't think when you watch the moth back, there are really that many context clues that would say, oh, of course it would be Locke to knock Saeed out. I think what Riley presented is uh, like a realistic argument, but not necessarily something that the show was putting forward in the moment. I think so.
0: I think so, too. I, th- I think uh, it, it's one of those great instances for me of, like, you know, maybe not everything, like, needed an answer or, like, needed, like, such a neat answer. Yeah,
1: where this this is something or, that, like, you no. could tell
0: the writers put up on the board as a sticky note of, like, we'll get to this
1: later on, and then when you bring in other writers for the back half of the season, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll answer that. Uh, it was Locke.
0: But let's talk about Saeed, because uh, as as Brendan Fitzpatrick writes in, Uh, My first prediction sent in to down the hatch was that Saeed was going to end up as the season one MVP. Hashtag nailed it. Um, But that was a late thing. That
1: was a uh, late sea change. That was literally down to the wire. It was down to the cable that was followed across the beach.
0: You know, I I think that 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 was a real surprise to us in the end, just given the trajectory of everything uh but, but Saeed being such a standout in the first season. I again I think like when you when you think of um people's lists of like the great characters of Lost, I think people think Saeed's a great character. Um uh, but I, I don't think that like he gets mentioned in the same breath of like Oh, Ben Linus, or or even Hurley or Sawyer. Uh, and I think that that's bullshit. Uh, and I think I think it's I think it's largely because his ending is more controversial than, than several other characters. Mm. But if season one proved anything to me, uh it it once again demonstrated that Saeed's just a fantastic freaking character, man.
1: Well, I think that, and we're gonna get into this with the final scores, like who surprised us and who didn't. What I feel like characters like Sawyer and Kate benefit from Is the fact that I think characters like Jack and Locke and Sawyer are going to have higher highs and lower lows. But characters like Saeed and Kate do a great job of just being like very stationary. Not not necessarily a bad thing. Like they have such a grounded character that, you know, they do solid things basically each and every episode. And so it was a very slow rise for Saeed. But there are very few moments where you're like, oh, that was a bad look for Saeed. You know, like, everything about Saeed's character reflected upon who he came from, you know, the brutality that he had to experience each and every day, but the romanticism that led him through, you know, his tireless search around the world. So, yeah, I I think that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why he's also not remembered as much is because, like, there aren't many big Saeed moments as there are. Big Hurley moments, big Locke moments, big Jack moments. And so, when you're looking at these characters, again, from a very... You know, thirty second perspective elevator pitch perspective. You don't have many of those moments with Saeed, but he's still like a very solid character.
0: Uh, Yeah, and I, I think, um, I think that there are going to be moments where Saeed is really going to rise again in season two. But we are also kind of on the edge of some very bleak Saeed storytelling. Uh, because the show is about to get rid of Shannon, uh, and that's not going to go well for Saeed, and he's really going to be in the in the you know in in the in the down in the dumps uh, if not down the hatch uh, for a good portion of season two. We're still several weeks away from that, thankfully, um, but I think that there is going to be a tougher period with Saeed coming up um, than basically we'll we'll get the entire way through lost until the very end. Um so I'll be I'll be curious because I think that there are still some predictions that Saeed uh may be a huge MVP contender for us in the in the 23 points section uh for uh for season two i've got some questions about that myself, but we'll we'll see let's talk about a character who's probably not going to to rank pretty hard in the MVP or LVP section uh, for, for season two, and that's Walt because Malcolm David Kelly's time on Lost is effectively over. We will see him pop up from from time to time, but the the character is no longer a regular presence uh, and Mike Pompilio uh, had had written in about. Walt and written in and said, there's no doubt that Malcolm David Kelly is a fantastic actor. So I understand why they wanted to have him as part of their show. Did the writers have a massive oversight in aging Walt where they did? Why did they not just make him a few years older? I'm sure there were plenty of talented preteen actors available at that time never sat right to me that a character's entire trajectory, as well as Michael's by association, was sidelined because the writers were blindsided by puberty. Uh, That's a a new way to get somebody voted out of the game, (laughs) Like,
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, ah, I'm going to get rid of you because you're growing too old. You're too gawky. You (laughs) can't fit
0: in the shelter. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think my bigger objection is how they reintroduced Walt. Because you just can't plan for that. And I think that we've established that there were so many spinning plates with the creation of lost uh, that um you know if this was one that they didn 't fully account for, uh, what are you going to do? They had a lot to account for. Um, I think my bigger issue is lost eventually introduces time travel as a conceit, and beyond mm-hmm. time travel also introduces time jumps as a conceit uh, where the action of the story jumps forward three years into the future of the lives of all of the main characters. So at a certain point, isn't there a way to, to have Walt uh, be explained for the fact that he's grown up, that he's older? Couldn't there be some sort of time travel mechanism to tie him back into the story? And I think you get to the deeper parts of the show and Desmond has been around for longer at that point, And you want to pay off Desmond in a way that, you know, makes his electromagnetism make more sense. Maybe, uh, is there something, you know, some of the functionality of Desmond at the end of the show that Walt could have satisfied. And so they go with Desmond instead of Walt. Maybe I can see that, especially as we've talked about, does Walt have some electromagnetic abilities of his own? Um, so I think my bigger issue is like how, how and when Walt came back into the story and how limited that was when the canvas really could have allowed for him uh, to be more involved in a more meaningful way. But that could be a function of Malcolm David Kelly not wanting to come back or there being logistical issues of having him come back. There's a ton of different reasons that could be behind something like that.
1: Well, to go to Mike's question about him specifically asking why not make Walt a few years older, I think it's very clear that the writers wanted Walt to be a reasonably young kid, because I think we spoke about this actually during Exodus and that he's the one getting kidnapped is that I think he is sort of the representation of innocence on the Island and that, you know, he is a child. He has not experienced a lot of the hardships. Some of these other characters have, even though it turns out that he's been through actually a hell of a lot. uh, Some uh, more than some of these other characters, actually, you know, he is someone who encounters the world wide open, fancy free Asking questions abound. And I think that if you make him like a 14, 15-year-old... Josh, you and I have both been 14, 15-year-old boys. I don't think they behave that way. I don't think they're necessarily that innocent. And I think that fundamentally changes not only the character, but what they stand for thematically. So I can understand that. Speak for
0: yourself, Bloom. I was an angel. I was an angel (laughs) as a 14, 15-year-old.
1: Well, I can imagine, though, that, you know, they... They wanted to write the character specifically, you know, with that mindset, because on paper, it's it's a really interesting idea, as opposed to, you know, he is at Tabula Rasa, as it were, as opposed to casting someone who, yes, has the better chance for actual longevity on the show without going through an awkward puberty stage, but may not be able to have that representation of that ideal just on the surface because of the age that they're at, naturally.
0: Yeah, I think so. Speaking of uh, Tabula Rasa, uh, we got this from Matt Kaneke, uh about Boone, Tabula Rasa. Uh, Matt wanted to know if we thought that Boone had his own Tabula Rasa moment here in Season 1 of Lost and also wanted to know how did we think Boone would have developed if he was allowed to survive. How fun is it to imagine the future of Lost Beyond Season 1 with Boone still in the mix? Like, what kind of functionality does he serve there? I feel like the the, the stage is very different without his death. Like, I think that I, uh, his death is so important.
1: I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I think if you look at what happened to Charlie, for example, in Season 2, or like you were speaking, what happens with Latter-day Saeed, I think Boone was... Plain and simple, one of those characters that the writers might have just not had a grand scheme as to what to do with outside of killing him off. And so, you know, I don't know what kind of character he would have been. It would have been interesting at least to see him come to life in the short term in that, you know, how does he interact with Locke? Is he on Team Jack from that perspective? But he still knows about the hatch. But I think if you're thinking long term... I think that the writers were already struggling to write some stuff about Boone. And when they did, it was kind of ooky. It was. Lucky. So I, I don't know exactly if I would have wanted to see season two plus Boone. It was ooky.
0: It was ooky indeed. Uh, I think you're probably right. I mean, I think that there could have been something compelling about him taking a darker turn. And, you know, one thing that could have been cool to explore in a bigger way is like being in the eyes of a main character who really gets like seduced by the others. Uh mm. you know, Locke flirts with it to a degree and they they, you know, go there with Jack to a degree, but nobody's ever really like converted to the other's cause from like a main character perspective, I don't feel like. Um, that could have been fun. And and Boone could have been an interesting candidate for that, as we saw like how impressionable he was and how he put a lot of value on himself based on um what his value was to the society that he was joining. Could there have been something fun with Ben Linus uh grooming Boone? Could have been cool. Um but like at a at a certain point, you're just like passing him around to all these different masters to groom him. Uh, Ooh. Go- <laughs>
1: here's here's a here's a thought. Could
0: Carl have been substitution Boone? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Boone could have fallen in love with Alex. Uh I
1: think that could have been because I'm I'm not going to say that Carl looks like Boone, but I feel like his introduction in Season 3 was a little bit of, like, that sort of young, hot shot, anti-other wow. renegade. you know?
0: Yeah, no, I like that. I like this uh, this fanfic. Uh, we're really shipping yeah, Boone shi- and Alex. Balix? Balix. Yeah. Or Lexoon? Aloon. Alune! <laughs> Alune. Alune. Oh, I like that. <laughs> oh my god uh i haven't said yet i'm still as of this recording uh, uh just a few uh just a few days removed from landing from japan uh and uh mike over the course of this conversation the jet lag is returning oh, uh, no. so, it's if, so we were going in and you're like i'm great i know i know fresh as a uh, and uh, now uh, it just uh, hits you yeah, like so a blast
1: door on your legs so
0: if we're getting a little punchy with a loon uh that would be why that would, as that long be... as you
1: make a big metallic noise when you punch, that's all that matters. Well,
0: that would be crazy if Boone took the Carl roll, uh, Boone Carl roll, instead of Ooh, Boone Carlisle. Maybe it's, it's it was there happening. the whole time and we didn't realize <laughs> it. Because uh, then like he still would have gotten a crazy death, right, if he gets the Carl death. Imagine if, uh, you know, because that's a very shocking moment. Uh, where Carl just gets like shot out of nowhere, and then much more shockingly Rousseau gets shot out of nowhere, and then you end on that with uh several weeks to go because of the writer's strike, and when we come back, Alex is killed in the very next episode, and that bam 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 literally of three fairly important characters of varying degrees of importance from like relatively important to very important um is is really is really jarring. imagine like putting. A series regular in the mix Mm. for something like that right like imagine boone being that first person to get the bullet and just like very unceremoniously dumped uh that would have been crazy
1: or like his interaction with rousseau right because carl is staunchly you know in the others camp to the point where he was literally kidnapped by the others maybe it could be something where like you know obviously he could be the go-between with alex and her mother and right. maybe he's the one to finally connect them and then he dies as a result of that.
0: I think it's good. I think it's good. I think uh when we when we go and rewrite Lost after Down the Hatch, which will be our our, our next wave of podcasting, uh we know that Boone has to make it. Uh I guess we should just give uh, Scott or Steve, whichever one is still alive, maybe he gets to be Locke's lackey, so we don't like change uh, the timeline yeah, too remember much. Remember it's Steve. Remember Steve's the leave? No, I don't remember that. Uh, that was the,
1: that was your mnemonic
0: device yeah. you used to remember that
1: Steve was the alive one.
0: Yeah, that's right. I don't remember that, but now I do. Steve's mm-hmm. leave and uh so he's alive. But in our alternate timeline, he won't be. He'll be dead. Mm,
1: I like this. I think we should. So it's like the lop- opposite of lost. Is it to soul?
0: <laughs> to soul. <laughs> yeah, I think we could workshop the name. I think um, so. Or found. Yeah. Uh, let's segue into, into, into expanding the character conversation. This was from Josh Spaulding. He wanted to know who are your favorite lost season, season one guest stars. Uh, and I don't think that there is, I mean, there's a lot of joking answers we can make. Peach Man Ray Mullen, uh, you know, top, top of the list. Uh, but is there, is, is there a better, like, season one identifiable guest star character than Daniel Robach, uh, as, as Mm. Leslie Arst? uh and, and dave baker asks us is arst the greatest red shirt in television history uh you're the you're more of the trek expert than i am uh bloom so you would have to weigh in on that but arst as like the king of the season one guest stars i don't know who else is in the mix for that
1: well uh, first of all i would say the king of the red shirts has to be sam rockwell in galaxy quest
0: mm, True, uh, true true
1: definitely but i would say I mean, I guess I know that he's going to appear in future seasons, much like Ars, but uh, William Mapther as Ethan yep. could be another one. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you got to put Susan Lloyd up there. <laughs> All right. So can I, can I take a second, actually, to, uh, uh, to give tell a quick story? Yes. So, Josh, you and I very rarely talk work on this podcast but i'm gonna go behind the curtain okay here let's do so it. uh i was given the opportunity to interview uh, one of the lead actors behind october faction which is a netflix series that actually at the time this is being released should have released the day beforehand it's a horror sci-fi series based on a graphic novel and they said okay you're gonna be interviewing uh Tamara taylor who's the lead actress and i thought okay let me do some research on her as we're want to do Susan. That, name's, that name sounds familiar and yeah lo and behold I look on her IMDb. And Lloyd and Behoid. It is Susan freaking Lloyd. Wow. And so, of course, <laughs> I get on the line with her. And the very first thing I say is, you know, I find it very interesting that you're playing a parent. I've been watching some old school Lost. I did not go fully down the hatch as it works. I didn't want to turn her off immediately. right? Uh, but I said, you know, I've been seeing a lot of Susan. And hopefully it's a very different parent. And Tamara laughed and said this. And I quote, Susan was so mean I felt so bad. That was such a hard character to play. I was like, "Why is she so mean?" There's no need. And so, people, I don't think anyone is disputing this. <laughs> but straight from the mouth of the actress herself, <laughs> we Susan know that Lloyd Susan is Lloyd is a terrible character.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right. So she would even sign on uh, if we said that she is uh, the 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 worst of the guest stars. Yeah, uh, I think someone. so. Uh, that's hysterical. That's really, really great. How was she otherwise?
1: She was lovely. I'd say, you know, go watch. I don't know uh, October Faction people have watched at this point. Go watch it. I'm sure she's great. She was great on bones. She was great on altered carbon. She's great in everything that she does, including
0: being Susan. She tried the best she could. She got a reaction out of us. She got a reaction. Uh, Look,
1: she had to deal with a really crappy hand that was dealt her way. We're like... Half of them were cards. Half of them were potato chips, and she had to make it look like a full house.
0: Uh, let's account for the the twenty three points because uh, we 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 you know we we ran down what what had happened at the end of Exodus, but here we are at the end of the season uh now that we're talking with with the the benefit of feedback from people who have listened to the exodus podcast stefan johnson put together a really amazing infographic uh that ben martell uh tweeted out and we will link to in our show notes here
1: here's here's an idea i want to plant my own johnny appleseed from down the line i want after all six seasons There to be, you know, Josh, one of those like infographics has been making the waves of like the ever shifting bar graphs. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you know, top grossing albums over the years where like it's a bar graph that changes every year to show like the rise and fall of certain albums. Yeah. I want that to happen with MVP points. Uh Maybe like the top five MVP points and just see like how these characters ebb and flow over the course of the 60s. Even over
0: the course of one season, it's been very interesting. I'm into that. Uh, I'm very into that. Uh, But for for where it stands right now, Mike, um, these are the final scores of the MVPs and LVPs of the 23 points section uh, coming out of season one. And I'm going to go from the bottom to the top. And uh, for the first time in a long time, Mike, I am going to read them all. You ready?
1: (laughs) I'm settled in now. I'm ready for another Uh, hour of you reading names. It's like a
0: graduation. Grab your water. Grab your beverage. uh, Take your shoes off. We're going to be here for a minute. All right. Uh, At the very bottom, tied, uh, negative four points each, Anthony Cooper and Shannon Rutherford are the LVPs of season one. They are sharing the title uh, in a tier above them, in the negative three category, Christian Shepherd Thomas, I believe that is uh, of, <laughs> of the Claire Littleton, uh, Thomas, uh, Randy Nations with negative three, and the collective group of Gawkers have Ooh, negative three.
1: I think, uh, you know, obviously Anthony Cooper's gonna be holding that bottom spot for quite some time, mm-hmm. but I think... <laughs> Hmm. depending on how much more beat-side action we got next season, Josh, we might see the Gawkers soon become the bottom feeders. Well, they're well. working. Like,
0: they're working, They're though.
1: close, but they're not exactly to they're the bottom yet, but I think, you know, <laughs> that's sort of our opportunity to sort of award points to, like, the generic Losties, your Sarah Blue Stripes, if you will, yeah. and I think that you know i I think it's an opportunity to acknowledge the ensemble maybe not necessarily in a good way considering that we keep making fun of them for not doing anything
0: there's a very big robust negative two tier uh that uh we have uh (laughs) robux negative two yeah indeed daniel robux leslie arst (laughs) is a member of the negative two squad as is the marshal uh edward mars played by frederick lane marco shepard uh is is ranking at negative two which is sad for her uh frank duckett the the robert pat uh patrick character I was about to say robert pattinson i do not believe he was on lost no
1: Hib, hibbs is the robert oh yes uh, hibbs, hibbs, hibbs is character. the robert patrick frank duckett character. was that kind uh, shrimp truck man
0: yes 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 uh cyrus bean of scandal fame what a scandal that i confused the two ethan gets negative two brian and susan only get negative two uh even if susan is ceremonially the worst i think the flaw in the des- in the design of the mvp lvp system we've come up with uh is like you don't get like appropriately weighted even if yeah. you were just in one season so like you escape certain death uh so i feel like there probably isn't a ton of utility in the lvp section because the yeah, worst I, I would- of the worst are going to be like one-off appearances
1: I would say maybe at the end of this, we come up with like a Mount Rushmore of like four best and four worst characters. I think I think I'd actually talked about this maybe over the course of season one. Like the Mount Rushmore of worst characters could be like Anthony Cooper, Randy Nations and the combo of Susan Lloyd and Brian.
0: Yeah. Uh, but they're probably not going to, I mean, Susan's going to get, we're going to get some shots at Susan coming up pretty soon here, but I think that that's going to be it. Um, the Boers are also at, the boars are also at negative two, as is uh, Sullivan, uh, aka the rash hole uh from solitary the guy with the with the rash who came to play yeah, but we're pretty oh. sure it's dead <laughs> yeah he's definitely not alive i think we anymore. remember
1: i think our prognosis was that he uh got simon birch that he got hit in the head with a cold <laughs> ball yeah. and died. i think
0: that sounds right that sounds right to me and boone is in that negative two category as well um the negative one category people who are just shy of the positives uh this is once again a robust. Uh, group of people we've got hawaiian shirt who's the the fake agent from exodus oh, paper towel ah now that's a paper towel uh Hassad, who is one of the terrorists from the greater good uh the blanket law and order uh gets a negative one uh, Ooh, mark, i
1: like this idea are these people who like bust if you're if you're not sharing your blanket uh, yeah. another
0: yeah yeah, yeah yeah you gotta be spreading your luxury uh mark silverman uh aka oh, the real scott farkas yeah a negative one uh grandpa tito uh r.i.p a negative one sam toomey also dead off screen a Yeah, these are basically one. dead
1: people at uh, this the falling
0: accountant negative one mr Pake is alive he gets a negative one though uh scott is dead steve is a leave uh scott gets negative one the polar bears negative one uh seth norris brother of chuck and john negative one Chrissy, the oceanic agent, uh, who you who you were, uh, yeah, I think really that was really the first on. time that people were
1: really bristling against our points. I really got us started early on with that.
0: Negative with White one, rabbit. Yeah, uh, Allison Janney got a negative <laughs> one, even though she is a long ways away from returning uh, from showing up on Lost. But we did see her skeleton. I believe that was the rationale that I delivered. Uh, Liam Pace of Driveshaft fame, a negative one. Driveshaft itself a negative one. The family that Sawyer conned <laughs> back in... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you
1: can tell we were really stretching here because we got here for the, a, of the we've season. We've done a
0: really good job on the podcast here. Omar, uh, a negative one of the Saeed flashback. Uh, the French crew, a.k.a. the Blowfish. Mike, why did we call them the Blowfish again, do you recall? Because it was Roosie and the Blowfish. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. There's so many bad puns along the way that I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my grip on them all. Uh, the Blowfish, a negative one. Richard Malkin, the Not to be confused with Ray Mullen, the similarly Australian no, yeah. man. Richard Balkin with a negative one. Peach Man Ray Mullen will be a positive one. Uh, so so they ba- they balance each down. other out.
1: They really are the yin and the yang, as it were. Yeah,
0: we had some some negative ones from whatever the case may be. The bank robbers got a collective negative one. Mister Manager got a negative <laughs> one. Uh, Brian of Hearts and Minds, separate Brian, uh, gets a negative one uh Emily Locke who we will never see again uh oh no we will we will just never see her as uh Swoozie Kurtz uh yeah. Emily Locke with a negative one and the others as a crew got a negative one
1: as literally one. as a crew they were the crew that kidnapped Walt that's, right. that's why we gave them the negative that, one
0: that's right all right so let's talk positively uh these are the people who are scoring positively uh and it's a it's a much shorter list uh the trucker uh has one (laughs) who's that i don't remember that
1: that that was the guy in whatever the case may be who was like i'm gonna stage a coup against
0: the bank (laughs) (laughs) robbers that's right he'll never show up again so that guy is gonna be in the clear forever yeah oh my god he gets to move on when we open the church doors uh uh the stewart family uh gets a gets a positive one
1: who are they Oh, no, they were the people, right, that Claire was going to give the baby yeah, to. Who are they? This is another... I,
2: yeah, you I felt, felt bad, bad for them.
0: Yeah, so you, yeah, that's a pity point. Yeah, you pity pointed the stewards. Uh, Nadia got a point. Uh, the moth <laughs> from the episode, <laughs> the moth got a point as well, which I feel like we should just offload onto the smoke monster. Uh, Lucy from Homecoming, uh, oh, we, right. gave her, we gave her a point. Uh, speaking of Dunder Mifflin, I know, I know people were upset that we didn't uh, reference... Uh, the UK office uh, around the time of Lucy. The Peach Man, Ray Mullen, with a point. Uh, our first ridiculous point given. Uh, certainly not our last, clearly. Um, in terms of some characters that actually uh, are recurring on Lost, Rose got a point. Uh, surprising, only one point over the course of the well, season.
1: Well, let's remember, because I think we, you know, we heard about this a bit of like, I was surprised that Rose didn't show up. Because I feel like... I feel like was whatever the case may be might have been the last time we saw Rose this.
0: No. No, no, no. She's in homecoming for sure. Was she in uh, homecoming? Yeah, she's in homecoming right. No, no, I guess you're right. Whatever the case may be might be. Yeah, when she uh, when she talks with Charlie. Yeah, I'm conflating homecoming and whatever the case may be. Um Yes, yeah, there another rose moment. Uh, I I mean, I've recently, so I didn't watch all of season two on my on my. I was going to ask how was your own how was your own plan. I got train? I got through five episodes of season two, and then I was like, That's I'm good tired. Amount. I'm going to go to sleep. And then on my flight back home, I did an AMA on Instagram. Yeah, I was going to
1: say you were. I mean, if you were a very good multitasker, if you were watching season two while answering voluminous amounts of questions, I had
0: a, a great AMA at Round Howard. If you want to follow along on the Instagram, I've pinned the AMA. Uh so you can if there's so many questions that you've had about your boy Josh Wigley, uh you can you can go and you can check that out at Round Howard. But no, I was like very surprised by the fact that, oh, I've got Wi-Fi on uh on this flight uh from from New York to Japan and from Japan to New York. I'm gonna take advantage of this. I'm going online. Uh so that's what I ended up doing instead of uh watching more lost, or of course I didn't read a single page of Watership. <laughs> Oh, I'm Josh! I'm, I'm, <laughs> you you didn't bring your computer at all. I didn't bring my computer at all. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't read. I didn't read a thing. I didn't read a thing. I'm so sorry. Anyway, so I think Rose. I see her show back up uh, in episode four of season two. So I've, I'm fairly recent with Rose in my mind. Uh, it won't be long before we get some Rose back on our screen, and I think we will certainly be giving her more MVP points along the way in season two. She and Bernard will get their first flashback episode, first and only. Their only flashback episode. Yeah, uh, Jin's dad. We gave one point. This is another great example of oh, somebody yeah, who just daddy. like yeah, like you know you wear that one point with pride, sir. Uh, we're gonna give him more. I think we're gonna see him again. Uh, I, I had I don't remember if I just had the thought or if I had said it out loud uh, that I loved this idea of Jin's dad just getting an MVP point every single week uh, <laughs> on Down the Hatch, even for doesn't all right. He doesn't it, was, in. it was very
1: much what we were just talking about before about how like if we feel bad that he's one of the best. Most like good-hearted characters, and he's only going to have one point to his name that we should give him. We, were, we said we were going to give him ghost points, I remember.
0: Yeah, he gets ghost points. Uh, Daniel Rousseau got a point. The monster got a point. The monster, there was a lot of variance with the monster. The monster was uh, all across the board. Uh, never dipped to the negatives, I think, but was on a trajectory to be a little bit higher than he ended up. Even Desmond Hume got one point uh, for turning on the light at the exact right Time for John Locke, who is the next person I believe we should talk about because John Locke ends season one with only two MVP points. John Locke, a steep fall from grace for for John Locke uh, with a really, he, he was at his high at Deus Ex Machina. Uh, he was, I, I believe, seven MVP points uh, at Deus Ex Machina and he falls from seven to two. Uh, from Day's Ex- uh, from Do No Harm onward, that's a really harsh drop for, for Johnny Lock. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would not say the, be- not the
0: worst drop he ever experiences, but pretty bad. If you're playing the lock market, I would say
1: sell when he reaches that yeah. high at Day's X market. And once yeah. he loses his kidney, like it's all over for him.
0: Uh, Walt only scored two MVP points. Uh, throughout Season 1, and so did Bopo the Dog. That is the, that is the tier of two-point MVP players, is Walt Locke and Bopo the Dog. That feels like to, a really fun hangout session.
1: I seem to remember also, and this was even in the beginning of our mass recording session, so we can't even chalk it up to exhaustion, but I seem to remember a theory about how there were two bopo the dogs and how yes. one was bigger than the other because of radiation yeah there's a cloning
0: we had cloning. yeah it was
1: that that guy's facility that pake wanted to shut down was a cloning mm-hmm. facility yeah
0: that's right that's right uh can't help but notice uh really no love for vincent on the mvps uh, are we taking Vincent for granted uh, because Bopo's a much rarer delight than Vincent because we rarely <laughs> see Bopo?
1: Well, I mean, the Bopo train has left the station now. I guess we're going to have to cash in on Vince, right? Or should we, should we change it like we did with Law and Order to just dog?
0: No, don't just group the dogs together. They've got personality, they're their own distinct individuals. I suppose so, though. I guess I maybe. I suppose so. <laughs> As a dog
1: owner, I know I feel like I'm Come very on. much causing a front right now. Uh, I would say. I guess if we had to give out extra points, if we, I wish we had given out extra points to Exodus Part 1 because I think we would have given much more points to Sawyer and we would have given one to Vincent for being a good boy and swimming really back in the boy.
0: raft. Really good boy. I think Vincent will score eventually. Well, Vincent can be a really bad boy too. Like he'll run away and he'll cause problems. Like he, he runs away and then like people go off and they see Ghost Walt in the jungle as a result. Uh, so sometimes Vincent's uh, he's causing problems that he doesn't need to cause. I don't know I I don't mean to be on down the hatch right now bespurching uh Vincent's honor. This feels like mm. a very bad position to be taking. Uh just surprised that he doesn't rank. Um there is uh there are two people who have 3 MVP points apiece. Charlie Pace is going to finish season 1 with 3 MVP points uh and I don't think that that's a that's a huge surprise. You know, he had a bit of a climb. He stayed pretty steady once he got to 3, he dipped down for a little while and then uh, then then wound up at at, at uh, I think he, he rose as high as four and then ended at three. Uh, maybe the bigger surprise is a character who spent a lot of time um, either not ranking at all or being in like the one range for a while. Uh, Michael ends the season with uh, with three MVP points. I hope that he enjoys them because he's certainly going to lose them by the end of season two.
1: Well, I was going to say, you can probably say the same thing about the guy who shares that point number with him, right? Like, this is a really interesting point where we leave both Charlie and Michael, where it's almost a tale of two different things, where Michael started in the negatives, pretty much, because he was not being good to his son. And it really, you know, hit a huge jump in special, where we really start to see, like, the tragic arc of his character, what he does for the benefit of his son, a kid who he just met, and it was just... Bequeathed to him after it was snatched from his clutches by the worst character of all time, TM Susan Lloyd. Uh, he also comes up with the idea to build the raft, which I think really helps his uh, trajectory during the back half of season one as well. Granted, he still does have some kerfuffles with Jin that doesn't help stuff, but I feel like having like a guided purpose and a new reason to bond with his son really helped Michael's case. Whereas Charlie, you know, he'll he's a, he can be a jackass sometimes. Numbers is a good example where like he is a really big git to Hurley when it, Hurley's at a very vulnerable moment. But he's pretty much remains steady, a good comic relief over the course of season one, and we are really going to like hold on to that considering what we're going to get into this in season 2 with Charlie.
0: Uh two characters who are off on islands of their own in terms of points, uh at 4 MVP points Jin Su at 5 MVP points Claire Littleton. Uh they are they're in categories of their own. Does that feel fair to you? Do you think that it's a I think for Jin especially who is somebody who uh has such a such a negative reputation for the first portion of season one of lost to, to end the day with four mvp points feels like a fairly big deal
1: yeah it's really interesting i don't think Jin ever went negative weirdly enough jinn's i'm looking at the infographic right now Jin's trajectory is almost like steps like he takes a step up during house of the rising sun he takes a step up during hearts and minds when he teaches hurley how to fish he takes a step up on ooh in translation when we find out exactly what he's been up to and the other side of the sink of it all. So, yeah, this has been a really interesting trajectory for Jin, where, like, he starts off in not such a good place, but we slowly find out more and more about him that eventually wins us over to his side, or at least more so than we did before. Claire's a really interesting story because Claire has the weirdest trajectory, in my opinion, of every any character here, because Claire is not in, like what, at least a quarter of these episodes?
0: I think that seems like a lot. Maybe. You might be right. I don't know. Um, But she definitely is in fewer episodes than any other series regular in season one.
1: Right. And so I I wonder, even at that point, we're going to talk about sort of Claire's trajectory and how it was very clear that once Aaron was had and corporeal on the island, they weren't entirely sure what to do with her as a character. You could even see it here when Aaron was in utero, but... I mean, she has her moments. She has this beautiful moment where she has Aaron on the island. I think raised by another, especially now that I'm someone who has gone through the process of having a child. I think looking back on it, I respect it so much more than I did at the time. But I would say, from like a characterization, characterization perspective, it it, it seems pretty adequate, especially for someone who, again, was sort of in fits and starts. Of season one, less so or more so than other characters.
0: I think it's funny that we just talked about Claire and Jin kind of as a package as we're going to talk about the, the two people who are tied at fourth place in the fourth place tier, which is six points apiece. Uh, Claire's brother, Jack, and Jin's wife, son, uh, are both going to have six points uh each uh jack was a was another high variance character right like you yep. know jack is so exposed uh he's in every episode uh so you're not gonna you know you're you're gonna have highs and lows for jack and i think for the fact that we get a lot of flack for the way that we talk about jack Ack, that was a lot of for, for
1: some people
0: i know for some people and for others uh, it's uh, it's appropriate um i think the fact that he ends up with six points is pretty good
1: yeah, I think that what Jack's trajectory is from our perspective is so understandable for anybody who declares themselves the leader. And he says this Kate, uh, to Kate, right? I think during, I forget which episode it is, but him basically saying like, when I make a decision, you know, uh, it's something that everyone has to buy along with, even if you don't want to. And Jack is certainly capable of being a bit more emotional and being a little bit of an asshole sometimes to certain people, which I think cost points in that category. But there are also some very noble things that he's going to do, which made him always in the positive, and to have him end, you know, tied for the third highest amount of points here. Like I said before, he definitely has lower lows than some of these other characters, which buoyed him down a little bit. But he also had higher highs. I mean, his flashback episodes were also a thing of beauty, particularly Do No Harm and and White Rabbit. Do No Harm in particular was just an incredible episode. And Matthew Fox, in every Jack-centered episode, does such a good job. Again, going back to, like, things we took away from season one that we maybe didn't remember throughout the macro history of Lost. I think I forgot how good of an actor Matthew Fox is. Yeah, he's good. Specifically in these beginning parts where, like, Jack is really pushing against being vulnerable, and he finally just lets it all out. Those are really interesting moments from Jack as a character. And to see Matthew Fox really let his heart out was really enjoyable. I wouldn't say enjoyable, but really captivating to watch. I would say, add on to that, uh, I was completely surprised how much I enjoyed Maggie Grace as an actress as well. I don't know why I thought, maybe because I was annoyed with the Shannon character in general, that I thought like, oh yeah, she's not a great actress, but my God, she really made that character so interesting by the end of season one
0: sun with with six points um I'm trying to think of where she's gonna go in season two in this regard it's gonna are we gonna, gonna, are be we gonna dock her points for uh for r- ravaging her garden and losing her wedding ring
1: it's gonna be tough because what we're gonna see from sun specifically is now that she's separated from Jin. i feel like the first part of season two before they come back together is just a lot of like Sun misses Jin, and so we're trying to figure out what to do with her. And so I wouldn't say we'll dock her points, but I feel like she may be docked in that I don't know how many points she may be getting. Though she doesn't end... Uh, she she lost points a little bit at the end for, you know, poisoning Michael with the intention <laughs> of poisoning her husband. But she got it back in making him the uh, the dictionary. But I would be intrigued to see when the first episode is that we give Sun one point or another.
0: So our top three, let's just talk about them Uh, Saeed is the MVP winner of season one with nine MVP points, followed by Kate with eight, who was the front runner all season long as recently as the introduction of the the Born to Run Lindelof that launched us into Born to Run. Uh, And Hurley is the third place finisher uh, as well. And Hurley had a, a really massive climb. Uh, right around ooh in translation to numbers and that, and he is, hates climbing, and and that's that's what really escalated him to this upper echelon. Said was always somebody who is who is collecting MVP points where it was relevant. Uh, he never really dipped down. I think he dipped down once. Uh, he dipped down around confidence man for uh, misguidedly torturing Sawyer, but that was really the only hit that he sustained. Otherwise, he was on the rise. Whereas Kate, who was a, who broke away from the pack. Very early on uh, and was really out in front as the queen of this section. Uh, It really didn't help her that she had Born to Run come here. At the end, and the fact or, that she or doesn't, or even the greater good. When remember, she she's, she she's, she spiked Jack yeah. stuff
1: with sleeping pills. Yeah,
0: that wasn't very good. And then Born to Run wasn't great. And I think that she's really lucky. And in in hindsight, maybe we were too soft on whatever the case may be. Uh, that she didn't get docked more points there. We could be looking at a scenario where where Hurley was ahead of her here. Um, it, it was it, you know a surprise at the very end of the season that Saeed is going to be the person who ends up being MVP when Kate. was was in that position for so long. But objectively looking at the first season of, of Lost, how do you feel about how this top three shakes out?
1: So the Hurley one makes sense. I feel like it's a great representation of just Hurley's character stock in that he was you know, a solid comic relief during the vast majority of the season with his highlight obviously being the golf course in Solitary. But numbers is when we saw him in a completely new light. For a variety of reasons. So I think it makes sense that as sock shoots up, so does his visibility. And I think, you know, he gets a little peek at the end uh, with, you know, his role in the dynamite and everything. And so I think obviously Hurley's in this position, I think, primarily because of numbers. But I also think looking back on season one, with numbers being such a big thing that's going to carry through for the rest of the season and it really putting Hurley on the map as a character to be utilized later on, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, We talked about this during Exodus, the reason why Kate gets defeated at the end, she doesn't get docked any points uh, for Exodus, it's that Saeed gets given a good amount of points for Exodus because he does so much. Yeah, he does. With with, with the Dynamite Black Rocks expedition, Saeed is put in charge of leading everyone to the caves, but then he gets put in charge of this, you know, Aaron rescue mission, which he leads with aplomb, and so he sort of ended up sneaking out there in the end, but I think... You know, I'll I'll repeat what I said before. I think both Saeed and Kate are two very solid and logical characters on the island. And so I think it makes sense why they were in the positions that they were, because they were always people to turn to, to help somebody out with something, to get people out of situations, to help talk sense into people. I think, unfortunately, Kate gets docked, uh, you know, because of how her flashback episodes are, oddly enough, the worst times we see Kate. Uh, And not just from a character perspective, from a writing perspective as well. And so usually in these character-centric episodes, we usually see a big bump in points when it comes to flashback episodes. Looking at Hurley and Michael as big examples, Kate, we usually don't. You know, we got zero points for her in whatever the case may be. We got negative points for her in Born to Run. And Tabula Rasa, I think, was a a big wash, too. So I, I think, unfortunately, Kate did not benefit from things that would usually benefit other characters.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so that's where we're at. I'm I'm curious to see what what happens with the 23 points, the MVPs and LVP's in season 2. Um I ex- i think like the temptation is like you're gonna get big MVP points out of Desmond because Desmond's finally on the board, you're right? But Desmond also only appears in like
1: four episodes.
0: He's—he's only—he's he, gonna—he's gonna knock gonna, it. Gonna, we're gonna—we're gonna shower him in in stuff at the at the end of season two for sure. Are we just gonna give him an MVP point because he shows up? Yeah. In in Man uh, of Science, maybe even we'll give him maybe? one for orientation
1: for giving good instruction. You know,
0: I'm I'm interested. I'm interested to see you know once we watch the episodes and talk it through. Are we are we high on Desmond or low? him in those episodes but i I think it's just he he's going to be around for such a limited amount of time that yeah i think he'll he'll you know he's already on the board with one point uh i think that he'll advance past that but just how far will he advance past that is uh is the question uh really just thinking about this in terms of like newcomers the tailies are about to show up so Uh, that's
1: that's gonna be an interesting one we talked a bit about our thoughts on annalusia per her introduction in exodus I think the points are going to truly show where she comes out as a character, considering this is going to be a one-and-done season for the most part for Michelle Rodriguez. I think Echo is going to be very interesting because Echo comes in like a lion, and I would say he's probably the standout TAiley for season two. So it'll be interesting to see how much he's going to make a dent. I feel like Libby could be a solid earner as well. Bernard is going to have his standalone episode, as you mentioned, too. He's going to have an introduction, uh, though I think... I thought he was on the board for uh oh no we we were going to give yeah. a point initially for uh for leading boone the wrong way but yeah. we felt so bad for boone that it didn't matter
0: <laughs> it really didn't matter. Uh we'll see where we get with with all of that. Uh let's save our season 2 talk for a little bit deeper into the podcast. For now, uh let's take some feedback from people uh who are reacting to the episodes that you and I were covering Mike when feedback was no longer Open when it was no longer a possibility, and that but that began with the Hurley centric numbers, uh, which Mike, I don't know if you'll recall. Actually, um, there was a fairly legendary uh, podcast bit that occurred in uh, our coverage of of numbers. Probably, I would vote the most iconic moment of Down the Hatch. Thus far, I don't know if you've got uh, any intro music handy uh, to to segue into uh, the, a conversation about this bit that I'm referencing.
2: Everybody with me, the drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you hanging with? Who you leaving with? That's my line. Everybody with me, hey y'all, who you hanging with? Who you leaving with? Everybody
0: with me, the drinks on me. Hey y'all, who you came with? Who you leaving with? Ah, oh. that's <laughs> sweet <my> Ambrosia. <laughs> ah dj dom dj dom in the house dj drinks on me who at the time mike we didn't know whether or not he was uh going to be as much of a hit with the hatchlings as he was with us they were very afraid
1: i mean he certainly i wouldn't say if you're talking about a hit as like being talked about i'd say he certainly was a hit dj dom has had his distractors certainly but he certainly made an impression
0: He made an impression He made an, his, his, an impression for sure And I think people uh, there, there were, there were, You didn't have like no reaction to DJ Dom. Right, exactly No one was lukewarm on DJ Dom we're not, And we're not going to play the song over and over again Here uh, in the feedback show We'll play it one more time We'll play it again one more time right now
2: Everybody with me The drinks on me Hey yo. Who you hanging hey with Who you living with This my line Everybody with me but other than
0: that we're not gonna we're not gonna play it again maybe one more time like around now wouldn't wouldn't be so bad but other than that we're we're definitely not gonna play dj Tom anymore everybody with me drinks on me
2: hey y'all who you can't wait who you leaving with this my line everybody with me hey y'all who you can't wait
1: uh, to everyone who's gonna hop out now we'll see you for season two <laughs> uh
0: a lot of people had interpretations of of dj drinks on me as you and i did mike uh, as we're trying to to understand the fundamental meaning behind the the lyrics of that's my line uh this is from sean Yannel, who wrote could the singer be hurley after he won his money he tried to launch his music career like david brent from the uk office which is obviously lost canon uh he's celebrating at a club and sees billy and rodney uh in the same line being a fan of both of them he buys drinks for the entire line
1: so but in our role playing this guy was the owner of the club too right like it's not beneath hurley to also buy the club but could this be was this during the oceanic six time you think that he tried to like drown his sorrows and jump-starting his music career yeah
0: i think that's possible jim fells our music expert here in the down the hatch universe uh floated out the possibility he said i can only think of one person that concerned about his lines and people not crossing him and that would be one dj friendly
1: Ooh, um, and we do know he's able to cop a disguise so it wouldn't uh, be surprised if he's able to put like an eye patch on and like a rainbow wing and say i'm dj drinks on me
0: yeah and he shows up in season four off the island to go and visit michael <laughs> yeah, for a quick I'm sorry, trip
1: i gotta stop him for i got a yeah. gig on he the had West a quick side. set he
0: had a quick set that he had to do uh john kraus said drinks on me a pitiful bribe attempting to retrace his own murky steps umberto uh said the line is clearly coke wow i don't know I mean, if you have to
1: create a a radio edit of this, it's got to be fairly clean. You know, I I don't know if you want that implicit uh, lyrics in there for the kiddies.
0: I don't think so. What's the
1: kids bop version of everybody up with me drinks (laughs) on me going to be like? Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. Um, uh, Bram, uh, Bram Kane had said, had written it and said, nobody knows the identity of this mysterious character. This has led me to think who would be most embarrassed to have this song on their resume. Even a terrible song in the most popular show in the world at the time can only be a good step in one's career. But what if it were an inside job? What if it were written quickly? Perhaps as a placeholder that stuck or perhaps because a licensing deal fell through at the last minute. What if the composer is none other than Michael Giacchino himself? Whoa. I don't know. I don't know (laughs) if I buy it. Uh, I will say uh, I vowed that I would, uh, I would ask about DJ Drinks on me uh, the next time I had a chance to, to speak with Damon Lindelof as I was covering Watchmen. And we were getting very close to the end of the first season and potentially only season uh, of, of Watchmen around the time that we were uh, talking about numbers. Um, and I'm a man of my word. Uh, I, I, I got on the phone with Damon Lindelof. We spent a half hour talking about Watchmen. And at the very end of the call... I I said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a lost question? I think it's one you've never gotten before, and he he was very cool and he entertained the question and i i asked i i laid out the lyrics to remind him fully if dj drinks on me i i i introduced the context of dj drinks on me uh we spent a decent amount of time just like reestablishing where we were uh with dj drinks on me on on lost and i said nobody knows who who came up with this you know the lost internet uh, remains uh, completely in the dark as it pertains to this answer. Uh, it's not as mysterious necessarily as the outrigger thing, uh, but this is one of the great unanswered mysteries of Lost. Uh, and he was very delighted to hear that there are still questions out there that uh, that do not have answers such as this one. And very sadly, he was unable to provide an answer, not because he wanted it to remain a mystery, but because he genuinely didn't remember. He said that he got into the edit bay for that moment in numbers that they had, uh, you know, in the script had, had wanted there to be some sort of song that Hurley is listening to and he saw uh, the scene play out on screen and he was like good this is great and they just moved on so that was the extent of the decision and the thought that went into it from Lindelof's side of things Uh, but then he then told me uh, that there is somebody on the planet who will know the answer to the DJ drinks on me question and that is none other than veteran producer of Lost uh, and Bad Robot veteran as well uh brian burke uh is apparently the person to ask about dj drinks on me Lindelof said uh burke will know immediately what the what the story was with uh with that scene um i do not know how to contact brian burke <laughs> i'm putting have,
1: that out into the universe i'm putting it knows. out the, i'm
0: putting it out into the universe i had an email address that i sent a long email to and it bounced back at me oh uh, no do so. you think wait a minute <laughs>
1: Do you think Damon might have like handed you off to like the reject hotline from Bri- an email?
0: Brian Burke definitely exists, and I don't have the email address from it Damon could, Lindelof. Do you think This
1: could be like a George Glass scenario where they made up like a dummy producer to like <laughs> no, offload all the no. mistakes onto like, he's, oh yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> Nicky and Paulo. That was Brian Burke.
0: It's definitely not Brian Burke because Brian Burke had a lot to do with Lost and and several other bad robot productions. So he's out there. He's reachable. I just don't. Uh, I don't. I have not put the the work in to really track him down. I've been distracted with my adventures in Japan uh, he does have a uh, uh, an, there's an article uh, on The Hollywood Reporter in fact uh, that's an interview with Brian Burke about how much he loves Japan and I like I put that in the email. I was like hey I hear you love Japan <laughs>
2: Ooh,
0: smooth, <Josh.
2: laughs>
0: I thought that was really good uh, but the email bounced back how, wait how old was this interview <laughs> uh it was like a couple of years ago he was on a, a a judges panel he was like a juror for a, a Tokyo Film Festival or something like that oh uh, I was gonna say uh, like
1: imagine like hey I saw this article from 2013 and <laughs> how you love Japan you
0: know it wasn't like that far off from it uh but yeah so I, I was like hey I hear you like Japan. Guess, <laughs> guess what? Uh, but nothing, ca-
1: <laughs> nothing came Which, out of by it. By the way, can you answer my extremely minute lost
0: question? <laughs> yeah, basically. And then in like text form, I, I laid out uh, the the whole DJ drinks on me uh, narrative. But uh, it bounced back immediately, and I was like, oh, I just tried to do this on my vacation. That's about as much work as I'm willing to put in on. Now vacation. let me get like, back
1: to diving into Watership Down. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> like I typed that out on my phone. I wasn't like gonna get any deeper into it than i did there but uh, i wanted to come back to the lost podcast with uh, with the answer instead in typical lost fashion damon Lindelof gave me an answer that led to another question that remains a mystery right now but if you dear listener out there have a means of contacting brian burke and you can supply us with that information Uh, Or if you would like to do the work yourself, the the Brian work, uh, you can track down Brian Burke and find out the answer to DJ Drinks on Me. Lindelof says he is the guy to talk to.
1: Perfect. And if you want to ask him how he likes Japan, just as a casual (laughs) point of conversation. like,
0: hey, I hear you like Japan. (laughs) (laughs) I think if enough people get in contact
1: with him and just say, hey, I hear you like Japan.
0: I, too, am a fan of Japan. Uh, all right, let's talk uh, some deus ex machina. Let's talk about the beachcraft. Barbara Richards had written in. Uh, Locke regaining his power to walk on the island is in part due to his faith. When his faith wavers, he suddenly can't walk anymore or feel his lower limbs and feet. Faith, the opiate of the masses, can fail. and makes thematic sense that priests and heroin would be on the same plane. The mm. plane, Mike. I like that. I really
1: like that as well, of like the representation of how priests are the ones and they, you know, masquerading uh, opiate or heroin within the Virgin Mary statues because it's a, it's an opiate either way, yeah. uh, whether it's, you know, assuaging your own way of looking at the world or if it's something you need for a quick fix. Yeah. Uh, I think that it sort of serves a similar purpose in that regard.
0: Moving on to Do No Harm, the Ben behind the curtain uh, had written in and said, can we just talk for a second about the fact uh, Christian's advice to Jack on the night before his wedding was commitment to is what makes you tick. You're just not good at letting go. Was Christian trying to tell Jack to break up with Sarah? If he was trying to give him good advice about marriage, what was it? I mean, Christian, I think
1: Christian was very realistic to be like, look, you know, my mother, your mother and I don't have the best relationship. So I can't really give you that good advice.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. Like maybe it was like, I don't think that this is going to work out.
1: I don't know. Like when he, but he's saying commitment is what makes you tick you're just not good at letting go are they implying does ben imply that like he was trying to use reverse psychology on him or essentially saying like you won't i double dog you to leave her at the altar. <laughs> i triple dog dairy and then uh mark silverman comes out like <laughs> oh no
0: <laughs> i think that's exactly how it plays i think that's exactly how yeah it plays. so
1: jack couldn't make it to the altar because he had his tongue stuck to a flagpole is mm-hmm. that what it is
0: yeah to a frozen donkey wheel uh, this is... Let's talk about The Greater Good. This was a really thoughtful email that we received from Ander the Meatman. Under uh, the Meatman uh, had written into us about The Greater Good, the Saeed flashback episode with this perspective. Uh, I'm going to read it in full. It's a bit of a read, so strap in. Uh, Ander writes, Hi, guys. Really appreciated your coverage of The Greater Good and the sensitivity you showed regarding some of the politically driven aspects of the episode. As someone who is of Muslim background, I wanted to share my thoughts and perspective as to how this episode portrayed its subject matter. And I think it actually did an amazing Amazing job, albeit perhaps a bit subtle, if anything, regarding how this type of thing could come together and the social-cultural challenges that lead vulnerable people like Isam to be manipulated. The earliest challenge that both the migrating people and the country that receive is the challenges from looking different and having a different culture. Following this up with the second very, very clever measured line of Isam being a tree cutter, so much for my degree in philosophy... It's very important because the law for people entering Australia with a refugee asylum-based visa is that they are actually not allowed to work and are reliant on very small government allowances. This is further confounded by the fact that their degrees and qualifications are often not recognized." These factors are often surefire recipes in ensuring that people of particular ethnic backgrounds have few options but to band together in large numbers in tiny, small share houses. Previously, what were doctors, engineers, lawyers, etc. don't matter. They're grouped together and are barely able to live above the poverty line. So you take the case of Isam and look at the fact that he's poor, he's probably very lonely, he's doing menial work, when once he was probably destined to be a professor. And the people that are being kindest to him are his elders around him. They understand his culture, are probably kind and generous to him, and he would understandably become comfortable in their presence. You can see very clearly that this intelligent young man understands that they want him, uh, that what they want him to do in terms of plot goes against his teaching and understanding from the faith, but he's influenced by not wanting to disappoint his elders and really not having anywhere to turn. I think the show does a really good job in demonstrating exactly how this type of thing can become a real-world scenario for so many young men and women of the Islam- Islamic faith and really shows the need for social integration and inclusion as a way to combat these types of threats. Uh, so that is from Under the meat man, about the greater good.
1: I mean, this is awesome. This is exactly what we asked for. And thank you, Ander, for saying, you know, we really did try to approach that situation with as much sensitivity as possible, especially knowing that it was going to be, you know, uh, put out at a later time. I know I was very nervous as to how it would be received. So to hear your kind words really do mean the world to us. And thank you for providing your perspectives. I would have never thought about it from that angle. And, you know, I was someone who I think came down on a more positive side of the greater good than you did, Josh, and maybe some of our other listeners. But that gives me yet another perspective into how this episode is so interesting from a thematic perspective, even if it doesn't necessarily nail all the aspects it's trying to go for. If you look at it from that viewpoint, I think it adds another layer to those flashbacks, which might on the surface not necessarily read as well.
0: Would you believe that we already have some feedback uh, off of Exodus? Uh, that people are, people people made it through the five hour podcast in time to get some Exodus feedback uh, into us for the actual feedback show. Uh, this is from Lindy Steiner who wrote in, okay, isn't it obvious that as the doctor, Jack should not be carrying the dynamite. I know he chooses to do it without Kate's knowledge, but why is he even in the running for the job? How did the dynamite blow up Ars but then not act up at all after that? I know they were careful, but it seems a little convenient.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this is also Jack though, right? He's like, hell, I need to put myself in danger. So I don't put others in danger, even if it's going to mean that the island loses its only doctor, even though there's not only one doctor on this island.
0: Right. Um, This is from Dallin Servo, who wrote in and said after the season one finale, I remember a lot of buzz regarding the cliffhanger. People were comparing it to the who shot Jr.' cliffhanger in Dallas. How significant or impactful was this cliffhanger, not only for the show, but for TV in general? Uh, I still think that you probably look at the end of season one uh, going down the hatch at the end and not knowing what's inside. I think that's still talked about as one of the most significant cliffhangers in television history.
1: Right, and you say significant without a qualifier, because I think people were not necessarily, including your contemporary and mine, uh, Dalton Ross, said at the time he remembered about how angry he was. And I mean, it's interesting comparing it to who shot JR. I, I would compare it more so to, like, they keep saying, okay, we're gonna shoot JR, we're gonna shoot him, we put the bullets in the gun, we're getting ready to shoot JR, and then, like, they they pull up to his house and then it cuts to the season break you know like we're not actually seeing this thing that we've been building up to luckily we have the benefit of being able to know exactly what is down the hatch but man was it such a tease and not exactly in a tease of like oh my god i can't wait and more so i think landed a bit more 50 50 half of them saying oh i can't wait and half the people saying like are you freaking kidding me we still don't know exactly what's down there
0: this is from Eddie Croce, who who said, My memory's a little foggy, but was that the last that we're ever going to see of Walt and Vincent together? Because that just makes that interaction even sadder if it was. Mike, I think so. Yeah. I think uh, that's right. I, think I mean, that's unless,
1: right. you know, if we're trying to head headcanon that, you know, Walt just either so much time jumping or he eventually comes back to the island that he gets to see Vincent again. Maybe Vincent no, has his own canon. powers where he can visit Walt it's
0: in New canon, York. not canon, canon, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But I Um. I mean, that makes Walt handing Vincent off to Shannon even more significant, right? Because it's Walt almost saying, like, yes, this dog was a companion of mine and one of my best friends, but Vincent also served as a piece of comfort to me in a time of need, and I'm mature enough to know when someone else needs that comfort. And so I'm passing him him off onto you. It's a bit, uh, you know, proprietary almost treating Vincent like an object from that perspective, but the meaning of it is super weighty knowing that that's the last thing that Walt's going to do with vincent
0: uh one more piece of exodus feedback from isha from israel wrote in and said exodus is the most famous immigrant ship that made its way from europe post-world war ii to the shores of what would become israel uh the second book in hebrew is called by a different name but the ship is named exodus also in hebrew as an israeli the story of exodus is a very is very known and students learn it in school And it represents the bravery of those who risked their life on that boat, just like our raft crew. Just thought it's too close for it to be a coincidence and would love to hear your take. Uh, Ishe, I would agree. That seems like that's way too close to be a coincidence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we don't know exactly about, you know, in the Bible, people really making their own exodus on the water. But I feel like maybe someone traveled back in time to Israel and decided to name the boat after their favorite episode of Lost that was based around a raft.
0: Yeah, yes. I think that that makes sense to me. Um, let's talk about the episodes of of Lost Season 1, Mike. Uh, we talked about the 23 points already. Let's talk about those 4.2 stars as we have been ranking every episode of Lost. Uh, all along the way here on Down the Hatch in our 4.2 stars section, where I give a score on a scale of 0 to 4.2. So does Mike. And so do the audience members who write in with their scores. We average those scores up for a single data point. And then that score, Bloom's score, and my score get combined, and we have our final Down the Hatch score. Um, and, and,
1: we, and we mean final. This was the last call for Season 1 ratings. After this announcement, we are officially... Locking them in, set in stone for season one.
0: Season one is set. Uh, so do not uh do not send any more scores for season one that is officially done um or i don't know do we want to reevaluate that position as more people come and find the podcast do well, we want to keep it open we'll see We'll we'll, we'll say it's locked in for
1: now but, if but there, then we'll completely
0: change our mind at some yeah, point if there, if the if there
1: ends up becoming a huge wave of people who find this podcast after the fact and start sending in ratings we'll figure it out we'll maybe we'll out. change it but for now you know i want to acknowledge the people that were, that we're four. in on this journey along with. Them over the yes. course of these 25 weeks.
0: Yes. Okay, so Ben Bartell has been calculating. He's been uh, playing the part of Kurt Clark and tabulating the results here uh, on on the down-the-hatch 4.2-star scores uh, alongside Brendan Fitzpatrick, the two of them really helping to organize this. Uh, and... These are the scores, Uh, and and Ben notes that he's gone to the thousands uh, because it's become clear that if we're not rounding out to the thousands, uh, there's going to be a massive crush at the top end with many ties. Uh, As we've said, there have been some ties along the way. Shannon is good with tying, so it makes sense. That's right. So this is is the most updated uh, Season 1 episode ranking uh, since we've started talking about them in the past few weeks, Um, so there may be some changes to note. I'm going to go through them now. Mike Bloom uh and of course there's there's uh technically 25 hours of of season 1 of Lost but we count Exodus and the Pilot as their own single episodes of Lost so 22 to account for all told but that being said In 22nd place, whatever the case may be, no surprise, 2.178 is considered the weakest episode of Lost so far, and it is uh, uh, a fairly big jump to the next one, which is Born to Run, uh, 21st. Poor Kate. Uh, Poor Kate is bringing it up. In the back, uh, 2.634 for Born to Run. Then comes Special at 20, 2.791. Homecoming at 19 with 3.069. Nice. Uh, The Greater Good at 18. You can't 3.069 the lost numbers, Mike. Uh, The Greater Good uh, gets 18. uh, There's an 18. uh, 3.088 is the score there. The Moth... Uh, is just above the greater good at 17. 3.094 is the final score there. Hearts and Minds at 16. Lucky number 16, 3.180. Uh, lucky number and, 15. And Boone and Shannon
1: got lucky that episode
0: too. Yes, they did. Lucky number 15, Tabula Rasa, 3.415. Above that, 14 raised by another 3.511. Uh, at 13 is Confidence Man, 3.589. 12 is Ooh. In translation, 3.591. And just above that is House of the Rising Sun. Oh, 11, 3.629, which takes us to our top 10, which we start at with Outlaws. The second Sawyer flashback is higher rated than Confidence Man, 3.729 for Outlaws. Uh, Numbers is the ninth best episode of Lost uh, so far, 3.918. Solitary above that, it's very close. 3.938 uh white rabbit uh, is above that 3.971 we have a a, a trio of Jack Shepard flashback episodes uh here in the 765 spots White rabbit in seven all the best daddies is in six with 3.976 so that's very close uh between that and white rabbit. Do No Harm is the fifth best episode of Lost Season 1, 4.096. Fourth best episode of Lost Season 1 is the John Locke second flashback outing Deus Ex Machina, 4.113. Third best episode of Lost thus far and third best of Season 1 is the two-part pilot, 4.158. And then as we go to the top two of Lost Season 1 and Lost So Far... The second best episode of Lost, Walkabout 4.16, which means Exodus is still at the king of the castle, uh, 4.178 for the three-part Exodus. And perhaps that's not fair because it's just so much episode.
1: I mean, this is, first of all, it's so interesting in in many regards. Looking at just the top five, first off, these are the only top five episodes to average above a four. So these really are like the cream of the crop. I think it's a really interesting cross-section as well. Uh, we get two John Locke episodes, we get two of the first four episodes, but then we get, you know, three of the last, what, like six episodes. So I think yeah. it really shows like the show really starts and ends strongly. And Exodus with a 4.178 out of 4.2. I, I'll be hard pressed to see if we can find another near perfect episode like that numbers wise. I think maybe Through the Looking Glass or The Constant are going to be the only other two ones that, but it's it's going to be tough.
0: All right, so let's start moving into season uh, season 2 star ratings moving forward. You can send that in to us down the hatch at post show recaps com is the way to get your star ratings in as we start moving into season two next week. Mike, I think um, how I how I'd like to do this moving forward with the four point two section is I actually want to leave season one alone. I don't want to talk about where the season two episodes are fitting alongside season one until we get to the end of season two. Uh, so it'll 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 mean that we have a, a more a manageable load of episodes to talk about as we get through season two. I want to talk about that in in conversation with itself uh season two so we'll, we'll see how everything fits alongside each other uh when we get to the very end of season two we will intermingle the two seasons and tell you what the what the scores are to date uh on on season uh I'll, through I'll season be two of loss
1: very intrigued to see uh how many you know if, if one is going to displace whatever the case may be it'll be, be fun
0: It'll be. <laughs> It'll be fun. Might yeah. be
1: very soon. I uh, actually I so. want to uh, speak as we sort of segue into more general season one talk before we look ahead at season two. Because, Josh, I tried an exercise that I'm actually going to attempt. Hopefully, every season here on Down the Hatch, I want to try to sketch out arcs in season one. Because I was looking back at, you know, the 25 episodes of season one. And I actually realized that, at least from my perspective, I could kind of sort them into arcs either from a plot perspective, maybe from a quality perspective, from a character-based perspective, that really, I think, tracks nicely as to where season one went to and the various directions that it went in. So I, if you'll uh, give me the floor. Yes, I- please. I'm, I'm going to read off my own personal Arcs, And I would love to hear your thoughts as well, and obviously everyone else out there as well. Uh, You know, it's very uh, equivalent to, like, finding eras of Survivor Seasons, where I'm sure everyone has an opinion about it. But looking at Season 1, I have uh, six distinct arcs here over the course of the 25 episodes. Episodes 1 through 8, so Pilot Through Confidence Man, I call the survival arc, the survival era. Uh, From the pilot—I mean, you can even separate the pilot on its own, because it's just like its own— Doodad, but it feels like in these eight episodes, these stories are much more survival based and smaller. You know, where are we going to find food? Where are we going to find water? Who's going to be our leader? What happens when we don't trust someone? What happens when someone dies? It was really answering those initial questions of what happens when you inevitably build a society. And as I talked about before, this is when we were also getting no repeat flashbacks. We were really getting introduced to all these characters. Episodes nine through 11 solitary through all the best daddies i'm calling the others arc and ethan you know does not die here but i would say he has his most prominent role solitary we meet Rousseau. she introduces the concept of the others we basically find out that okay these people are not alone on this island we have claire obviously get kidnapped by ethan and raised by another and then we see the danger that ethan and by proxy the others present in all the best daddies with uh you know Charlie getting yeah essentially hung Jack getting forecast right. episodes 12 through eight, 18 we talked about this a lot over the course of down the hatch this is the weird experimental arc when we come back in 2005 whatever the case may be through i would argue numbers it's a weird time for lost they're trying out a lot of weird character stuff and island stuff this is you know We've discovered Boone and Shannon slept together. Walt may have magical powers. Charlie kills Ethan. Right. Jin might actually be a good guy. And it actually, you know, even though I think those episodes might have a certain quality to them, then's ends on a strong note, in my opinion, in Numbers. But I lumped it in here because Numbers presents probably the biggest piece of mythology or one of the biggest pieces in the series history. And I think that's definitely such a big swing that it fits in with this era Episodes 19 and 20, Deus Ex Machina and Do No Harm, I'm considering the Boone arc. This is essentially Boone's injury and uh, subsequent death. Not only that, but it also is the big breaking point for the relationship between Jack and Locke around what happens with Boone. Episodes 21 and 22, we talked about this. This is sort of like the post-Boone arc. This is the come down from what I feel is the emotional climax of the season. As we're simultaneously reconciling with that while also ramping up to the raft launch. I put Exodus in its own category because it is three episodes and so much happens there that I feel like it deserves its own sort of separation. But that's how I've separated out the season. I feel like it's going to be much easier to do this for season one than other seasons, especially as the plan starts coming together. But even sketching this out, it was so interesting to me how much you could sort of delineate out certain periods of time over the course of the season and how the episodes reflect that.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to like even start to map that onto season two a little bit as best as I can. Um, and just from from what I've watched ahead for already, um, you know, I think that the the first three episodes really do feel like an act of its own. Uh, and then there's like the the the, the pre-Shannon's death uh, mini era, uh, but it's really short. Right. I think that she dies yeah. in six. Uh, and then there's the the other 48. I think like the whole like Shannon thing sort of plays on its own. Um of uh of, of of her her death episode, then the other 48 days, uh, and then the Ana Lucia flashback. I don't think I've ever called her Ana Lucia before. That <laughs> Ooh, very first strange. time for everything. Uh so there's there's that. And then I, I I get a little bit murkier on on what's the plot in terms of how you would arc it out like that. I'll be very curious once we get to the end here uh in season two uh in several several weeks from now, you know, several months from now, uh where where that plays. Uh that's really fun. I like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting to also like look at it. We've obviously gone very behind the gr- the curtain, thanks to Ben behind the curtain, as to what the creators were doing, sort of building the plane as it flew and hopefully didn't crash over the course of Season 1. We'll get into it more in Season 2, but I can imagine, now that they sort of have their act together a bit as to how you know the process runs, maybe the lines blur a bit more in Season 2, whereas Season 1, you could really... Feel those lines, shout out to Tom Friendly as to, OK, here's like when lost takes a specific, you know, tonal shift into a new moment.
0: Um, let's let's start wrapping up the season one conversation um, on Twitter. Uh, the Ben Behind the Curtain threw out some questions to the hatchlings. Um, and one of the, the first one was a call for what were our best and worst takes <laughs> of the season Mike, uh, some of the best takes that were most frequently cited were uh, rooting for Shannon and Saeed as a couple. Apparently, this was a very popular take, uh, which is exciting. I like that. I enjoy that. I'm happy that, you know,
1: obviously, we can't all get behind something because Loss is not a show about universal truths, especially from a character based perspective. But I'm glad that we've turned other people's minds onto it. That's another character takeaway for me personally, is that I was, I guess, more understanding about the Shannon Saeed thing than than some other people. But this at least gave me more physical evidence about it, especially, you know, with the way they've interacted with each other and the feelings they clearly have for each other by the end of season one.
0: Uh, Your take on Walt's origin story uh, was uh, classified as one of the best takes of uh, the first season of Down. Woo! Got one in! You got one. You got one. Uh, Calling out the Gawkers was a celebrated take good darn gawkers
1: they've <laughs> lied in dormancy for too long it's time to finally put them out into the spotlight
0: desmond uh, get the lamp uh, among our worst takes uh grandpa tito getting lvp points for dying that's uh, all barely. on you man <laughs> i know that's just me uh hitting winners is all on you uh, <laughs> mike that was considered one of the worst takes of the season
1: yeah i've listen we try to learn something new every day especially putting ourselves out there and i learned a lot about tennis over the course of season one
0: yeah, uh, and then the the probably the worst take of season 1 was you and I thinking we could ever keep the podcast under 108 <laughs> (laughs) minutes Uh, you know mike i got i gotta say like i even thought like maybe today with the feedback show (laughs) we'd be able to keep it under 108 minutes but uh we're not gonna be able to do that
1: we're not capable of it okay we need christian shepherd to sit us down and really tell us who we are so that we'll do the exact opposite
0: not possible not possible i think it's also safe to to announce here uh mike bloom and i are officially killing the the 108 uh, minute rule in all of its incarnations we're pulling a
1: daenerys we're breaking the wheel right
0: now. yeah we're breaking the wheel we're burying the frozen donkey wheel out by boon carlisle uh r.i.p donkey wheel the lindelof has been activated the lost rpg has been activated i am obligated at some point to read watership <laughs> down i've got a couple of years have, to figure you're that gonna out have to
1: go to japan to find brian burke <laughs> to see you get another opportunity uh,
0: so the lindelof will will return when we have enough for a second lindelof and uh mike and i are talking with rich to to figure out timing for the next episode of the lost rpg so we will figure that out we'll, we'll try and do that once a season um but otherwise this just it was a, it was a, a novel idea but uh, i think uh we're we're both happy to to throw that away
1: and also i would say like this opens up the idea for i think if josh and i ever just want to do one off bonus podcasts we certainly have had ideas brewing over the course of the past few months we're at liberty to do it we'll just
0: do them we'll do them if we want yeah well then
1: we'll announce them ahead of time uh, we're
0: doing a weekly lost
1: podcast yeah. it's
0: like three hours long every week
1: yeah let's like not give ourselves certain we're restrictions fine. we're fine
0: we're fine uh some controversial takes uh dj drinks on me of course uh of course. a lot of people in favor a lot of people not Real Count Jackula. count Jacula was a lightning rod as well oh uh, no <laughs> lightning. I'm fine with lightning, but the light, but rods.
1: <laughs> Plain light. Lightning's yeah. fine.
0: But yeah, rod rods, is sharpened. Uh, you got you to be careful. Yes, if you sharpen the rod or provide light, many points of
1: this do not uh, do well for Count Jackula. But together,
0: I'd say okay. A lot of people whining about whiny Jack. Uh, didn't really like whiny Jack voice so much. We were always complaining that how he'd say, "Live together, die alone." We're gonna a die alone. Of- yeah a lot of people didn't like the whiny jack but some people did some people were like oh i love whiny jack like uh, jack sucks you should be giving him more shit so like we cannot please the jack crowd uh, should, should
1: we do by requisite like you do a whiny jack voice and i'll do like a very respectable jack voice that paints him in a good light
0: uh yes, only if the punchline to that bit is your respectable Jack voice is Count Jackula. How old did you
1: know? <laughs> I could have said you seen it in the mirror, uh, but I have no reflection.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what if Count Jacula is DJ Dom? Oh boy. I think it's it'd be tough to like get rid of the accent, take? but
1: I mean, listen, uh, he does love the nightlife.
0: Yeah, it's true. And not, he, how does he feel about night lights? Oh, boy, get those away! <laughs> get him get out of here. Uh, ben also threw out on Twitter uh, what surprised people the most about their rewatch through season one, what some of their biggest changed opinions were. Uh, Eric Divestein wrote in and said, I was surprised at how aimless the plot of the season was at times as the show figured itself out. Season one has a reputation as this amazing ride, which it is, to be fair, that future seasons could never live up to. But I think some future seasons are overall better.
1: Hmm, interesting. I mean, I could see his point in that we're going to see in season two especially, I think the onus of most lost plots move away from character and being more based around, you know, specific action or moments or things. And so I think from that perspective, yes, the plots are more focused. But at the same time, from a character based perspective, season one may be the strongest in that this is just about people. I I talked about that survival era of the first eight episodes where yes, the plots themselves may be a bit more aimless, but they're more about showing us who these people are whereas now that we know who those people are now that the runways built we're going to fly a very different plane moving forward of, okay, now let's put these characters in really interesting scenarios and see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I think to that tip, uh, Matt McGee's take uh, falls in line with that. Matt McGee wrote in and said, The first season of Lost was much more of a true ensemble piece than I remembered. I knew Jack, Kate, and Locke had big roles, but even they weren't quite as prominent as I remembered. I thought Charlie was a massive character in season one, but outside of his flashback episodes, he was much more of a supporting player. After Boone's breakout episode in All the Best Daddies, I expected him to be more of a player leading up to his death, but he vanished for long stretches after his flashback episode. It's really impressive how they managed to balance 14 main characters pretty well. But if memory serves, they may not be quite as successful moving forward.
1: Mm, yes, your memory is serving very well. Serving a winner, in fact.
0: Serving a winner, indeed. Uh, Brie Lynn had, had written in, uh, I don't even remember why, but I wasn't a fan of Kate during my first watch. Now she's one of my favorite characters. I'm almost done with season five, but my love for her began during my season one rewatch.
1: I think a lot of it is credited to her flashbacks not being the best, and I think her, unfortunately, being remembered with the whole love triangle, Jack, Sawyer, Kate stuff. Though I think, as we pointed out during season one, she has some very solid character moments just by herself. And so I'm happy that we're shining a bit more of a light on that, and hopefully that continues, even if the romance does get a bit silly as we move forward into season two.
0: Uh well let's move forward into season 2. Let's talk about season 2. Uh the, the a very weird season of Lost is almost at hand. Like I think as, as we covered across our conversation of the first season here on Down the Hatch, uh we talked about uh you know the ways in which the writer's room kind of like flirted with getting strange on lost and what could they get away with? Uh, and this is the season where we're going to go like full on sci-fi. We're going to, you know, we're spending time in a bunker, uh, where we're pushing a button every 108 minutes. And that is like the critical plot piece of season two. We're going to get introduced to a lot of very critical characters for the long run of Lost. We're going to meet Alex for the first time. Marvin candle is going to show up in some of his aliases, uh, Desmond and Penny. We're going to get the tailies, uh, uh, we're going to get Benjamin Linus by way of Henry Gale. We're going to start hearing the words Dharma Initiative officially in the canon. Um, Mike, what's your what's your excitement level going into season two? And what are just like your general feelings on season two? It's lost, so you're going to love it. Um, but is season two like a higher rated season for you or a lower rated season for you?
1: Season two is my least favorite season, but that makes me extremely excited for this because it's sort of a win-win scenario for me if it's better than i expect then great it's an opportunity sort of like season two of the wire where i think it earns this really negative reputation but maybe if you look at it more from a micro perspective there are things you can enjoy but if not then yay we get to you know have some fun with throwing shade at lost i think this people say that the first half of season three is really a good representation of like how aimless the show felt at a certain point but I think you start to feel that in Season 2. You know, Season 2, the beginning, is when they really start dividing our attention. You know, for the most part, everyone kind of stayed in the same group in Season 1. Exodus was really the first time that everyone really separated out into doing their own things. And they're going to continue that. And they're not going to have three hours a week to do so. So we're going to have exploration of the hatch but we're also going to have Michael and Sawyer and Jin with the Taileys. And those groups are going to eventually come together. And then, you know, we're going to get involved with the Dharma Initiative. All these big mysteries are being presented. So I'm really intrigued to look at how it all comes together. Because I know what I remember of it in general as a season. But what are those smaller moments going to provide? I will tell you something that I am genuinely excited about. And surprisingly, one of my favorite memories from Lost Honestly, my favorite memory from season two, and it speaks to just how demented of a person I am, but Josh, I am so excited for the end of Two for the Road. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, that was I that was such a well, that's like what
0: we were talking about before with like, what if Boone was Carl and he just like got shot out of nowhere and it was like a, a like a legitimate series regular just got killed uh, in like this really kind of like offhanded way. I mean, that, so add to that 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 is exactly what happens to Anna Lucia uh to Anna <laughs> Lucia and to Libby or Libby yeah or Libby uh that they both get shot their main characters they're, you know their their first build you know names on on the show and suddenly they're they're killed off in the season that they're introduced no less after being Build as such important people and they're killed by not only another series regular but like a good guy series regular somebody who were being groomed to feel a lot of sympathy for because his son's been kidnapped i think up to that point is there like a bigger like holy crap like jaw dropper like stunner shocker of a moment than michael killing anna Lucy, and libby um, on like that sort of guttural level um, i'd love to get some feedback to that uh for for even for next week we can we can take it or we can hold it until we get to to for the road but i agree like i i will never forget experiencing that episode and being like ah like when anna lucia gets shot like just like jumping out of my skin yeah and then libby gets shot it's like ah <laughs> it's just like so
1: scary yeah i mean that was one of my first like obsessive moments with the show weirdly enough of like I watched all the uh, the dear sister uh, what you say parodies yes, that popped yes, up online. Yes, I, yes. I, I that was one, an episode I remember rewatching a lot of times because so I think it actually is like a surprisingly good episode that really sets up like that was Anna Lucia's big send off episode, but it also sets up you know Libby and Hurley are really happy, so it just makes it she doesn't end up dying right there right then. We talked about how significant of a moment that is for Michael as a character, so that's one moment I'm really interested in looking at. I'm really interested, you know, we were talking about Faith as a gradient, what the Echo character represents, especially when it comes to these characters of Charlie and Locke, which are the two characters he really interacts with the most. I'm intrigued to see if Charlie's downfall is really as bad as we remember it being. There's, There's a lot of stuff I'm really interested in. Re-remembering whether good or bad that season two is going to provide for us.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get into it. uh I first of all, I'm I'm just so thrilled that we've talked about the entirety of the first season of Lost. No, it's crazy.
1: It, it's I I still can't believe we got there. And look, we're only a step away I didn't want to jinx there. it.
0: I didn't want to jinx it. Yeah, but or, well, yeah, yeah, a little bit over just because of how you know how many episodes there are per season. But yeah, but effectively, I, yeah. But
1: I think you know we've got through a monumental season of television, but it's only the beginning. And this is going to be such a big shift in so many ways, and I'm so happy to chart that with you because it's something that, like, even in the moment I didn't necessarily think about, but it's like, uh, you know, boiling a a lobster or boiling a frog, you know, they kept turning up the sci-fi and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess we're doing time travel now because we did the hatch stuff a few seasons ago. To chart that transition is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I I hope that we get a lot of uh mileage out of uh out of uh you all everybody's too. If we can walk away from Fire Plus Water with some appreciation for it, I will be very impressed. I'm not expecting much.
1: I mean, uh- we could probably figure out maybe some other <laughs> commercials to put drive shaft in. That would be just as humiliating.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to for the road. I'm I'm really psyched to just like immediately go down the hatch next week uh, and and finally have Desmond on the board. But I do think that like that's such a great scene. But it's gonna take us three weeks to talk about the entirety of the hatch. Stuff.
1: Yeah, it really starts off on such a weird note. Like man of science, man of faith is interesting. But then we get to Adrift, which, just to put a pin in this, Josh, might be my least favorite episode of the Okay, cool. ever. Um, Interesting. I despise a drift. And maybe, you know, again, looking at it now from the perspective of a father, especially being a Michael episode, maybe that'll give me a, a new yeah. sense of things. But I remember just really hating it at the time of just so darkly lit and just so poorly done of an episode. But yeah, I mean, we're going to have Desmond as this cool character and then he's going to leave us for an entire season. It's such a weird way to introduce a character.
0: It's going to be wacky. Uh, Stefan Johnson had asked us tail section versus freighter folk go freighter uh, folk. Yeah. I mean, and I think that I've been on the record that like, I I'm not the hugest fan of the freighter folk, or at least like, I don't love them the way that some other people love them. I, I think I've come around on basically all of them. Um, and Mr. Echo is such a heavyweight in the tail section, but the way that the tail the tailies are ultimately written out, you know, how can you not vote Raider Folk here?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's one of the reasons
0: why... It's going to be fun to re-examine the, the tailies. I yeah, think.
1: I agree, especially the other 48 days, considering it's their standalone episode. I'm very excited for that one. That's I remember that's a standout of season two, no matter what you think about it. But yeah, I've been beating the drum of season four ever since the days of Lost Lives. I love. I I'd say I at least enjoy all the freighter folk. I still have never been a big Charlotte person. Uh, hopefully we'll come around on that once we get into the the back half of the run. But I love everything that Miles and uh, and you know Faraday and Frank Lapidus bring to the table, and they're very weird ways, and they're also such a big representation of like. What loss ends up becoming of like, yeah, sure, we'll bring on characters where one of them uh, talks to dead people and the other one can, you know, travel through time. Like, sure. Yeah, it's lost now. We can bring on those characters. Do and whatever I, we want. Yeah. And I, I just really so tell love me what I can't do. Where like, it, it seems like with the tailies, they wanted to bring on another group of survivors for the shock value of it all. But you could tell they sort of didn't exactly know what to do with them. And so they ended up killing a majority of them off.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to re-examine the tailies. I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I think that season two has some of the, the really great highs of Lost, but it also has some, some uh, pretty serious lulls. Uh, and lulls. we can, you know, I was going to say, if we can turn them into lulls, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy about that. Um, all right, well, let's start, let's start wrapping up, Mike. We got so much feedback over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, that was just so touching. Uh, so many people t- sharing their stories about how they found lost what lost has meant to them uh, over the years, uh what this podcast has brought back for them um, we We would be here for like eighteen more hours if we started reading those messages that that we got, uh, but we really do want to thank everybody. Uh, for who who has written in with Thank those stories. Thank you all, everybody. Thank you all, everybody. Even the Ben behind the curtain wanted us to share this message because uh, Ben is really at the forefront of reading the down the hatch uh, feedback and getting them collated for the others alongside Brendan Fitzpatrick. Um, this comes from Ben. Uh, reading the mail as it comes in, it's impossible to miss just how many different people for whom this podcast is more than just a bit of weekly fun. It's impossible to have them all read on the podcast. Many people are deeply impacted by the honesty of the mental health journeys that uh, you were bravely putting into this world i guess that's you and me mike Uh, many others have found a sanctuary from dealing with loss and other forms of grief and many others have their own individual reasons for feeling thankful it's impossible to escape the fact that down the hatch has in many ways become a really important podcast and for that the hatchlings have spoken and in the loudest terms possible have said a very loud thank you to both of us oh oh wow uh for putting something so raw real and relatable into the universe thank you ben i appreciate you saying that um, uh, but really, like, I, we just have to reflect that back onto, yeah. uh, even if you're not like sending in, you know, deeply revealing. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, deep no, no, no. We, <laughs> we don't need
1: you to like. We're not playing like two truths and a lie here. No, you know? for
0: sure. And I mean, we're, you know, we. Uh, I, I love getting like the really funny feedback and and you know, like the really like insightful character analysis. Yeah, looking stuff. at you, David Healy. We'll get to that Mikhail episode soon. Yeah, we got a little ways to go, but I know the one you're talking about. You know, there's just there's There's great stuff that we get uh one, one of the great joys of waking up on any given day anymore uh, is going to the the, the, the filtered uh, folder that I have in my gmail account uh, where all the down the hatch emails get sent to get forwarded to uh, and and every day I wake up to 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 no fewer than like five new emails that are about lost so every day I have something amazing to read about lost. Uh, it's incredible. I, I strongly suspected uh, when we launched Down the Hatch uh, that, uh, that, that Lost was, was, was going to be very big for my mental health, mm. uh, that having a daily, uh, a weekly dose of Lost in my life for the next so couple of years. It was daily
1: for a good but portion it's, there. <laughs> it, but,
0: it's, but, it's, but it's become daily, and, and I'm very grateful to, to all of you out there who are listening and writing in. And even if you're not writing in, if you're just listening, uh, we're, we're so thrilled to have you along. Yeah, I I know Mike agrees.
1: Yeah, I, you know, we didn't talk loss for an entire month. And that was crazy, considering that we were on a roll recording every week for four months or
0: so. You know, it's tough. And in in the final stretch, too, like, we recorded, like, you know, almost every day of the week for two weeks.
1: Yeah, so I think that, you know, sitting there, it was almost like going into a withdrawal for a little bit, you know, like we had our own little fix. And honestly... Reading those emails just made me remember so fondly how much I love doing each and every second of this podcast, including reading tweets, including reading the tweets where we get insulted for our MVP point uh, distribution. We love it all, (laughs) to be quite honest, because this is a show Uh. that people are really passionate about. And we're so passionate about it, too, that it's amazing to have that reflected back, you know, because I know I didn't necessarily expect it. And honestly reading
0: i knew the entire time (laughs) i i knew i had the spoilers that this was going to be a Uh, mega popular podcast you see
1: i didn't i went spoiler free so i guess jokes on me the edgic behind this now i have to Mm -hmm, completely uh, undo it but just reading emails and seeing people's responses even just over the past month as they sort of you know discovered our podcasts as we had recorded them was just such a a cool feeling and it reminds me how special it is to have this in my life and your life as well josh we've been going through such changes especially over the past year that this really has been like a stationary thing but it's almost been like the island that we moved around in so many different places but it's been a place we can always come back to yeah yeah and and i'm so happy to come back here week after week and hopefully with all of you as well you're in for the long haul
0: it's like uh, when our raft blows up, we'll always have this pontoon to cling on to. Oh no! Uh, so that we're not no, getting John, eaten I alive. I want to talk about that episode. Oh <laughs> uh, God! All right. Well, uh, we could we could gush for a while, but we're, I think we're going to take the opportunity to have a roughly two hour podcast uh, this week. Uh, so I think that we will we'll start we'll start the the disembarkation process here, uh, especially with my jet lagged brain. Thank you for bearing with us. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled program next week as we go all the way into season two starting with man of science man of faith that podcast is going to drop uh january 31st so get your feedback in by the morning of january 28th at the very latest your feedback your comments your questions for the others section can come to down the hatch at post is our email address you can also tweet at us at post recaps is our main account i'm at round howard mike is at a oh wow i couldn't say at a mike bloom type uh because i had like a scratch in my throat i was at gonna the time say unless
1: you're just getting real choked up for realizing oh, that. Mike, oh my god we're said, talking again But you
0: said we're talking again no it is really exciting just to be bad this is the first podcast i've done in like three and a half weeks um uh, i couldn't so I'm even a tell rusty, it's like riding
1: riding a bike it's like riding a stationary bike in a hatch
0: oh my god all right well we're gonna get into that in just one week's time um mike anything else
1: No, I mean, if you want to check out all the other stuff that I happen to be doing in the beginning of 2020, because I am a crazy workaholic, I am covering Survivor US, Survivor Australian Survivor, doing some Star Trek coverage on post-show recaps, as Josh mentioned, surely some other stuff along the way, but I I pip it all out through my Twitter at type. That's probably the best place to follow all the various work that I'm doing, and Josh, I'm sure, is going to be... putting out his own work as well as peak TV begins to ramp up after a short holiday hiatus.
0: Oh, too short. Even though it was so long, too short. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be back at work in no time and, uh, maybe, uh, a little bit of a quieter period here on post show recaps right now as we've got the lost podcast. Uh, we had a curb your enthusiasm podcast go up earlier in the week. Mike and Jess are all things Star Trek right now. Um, but I just put the schedule together for, uh, what's coming up in the spring. On uh, on post show recaps and we're looking at like some weeks where we've got like five podcasts a Oof. week, uh, four podcasts a week Holy coming Lord. up. Yeah, so there's a lot of shows that are coming up. So subscribe to post show recaps. Uh, follow us on Twitter at post show recaps. Follow me on Twitter at Round Howard. Follow Mike as well, uh, and we will keep you updated on all of the programming that is coming your way. Subscribe to the podcast post show dot com slash down the hatch. Uh, leave your ratings and reviews, greatly appreciated. Uh, Mike the podcast is called down the hatch and next week we literally have that moment we are going down the hatch uh, I feel like the only appropriate thing to do is to close this podcast out uh, by looking ahead to the most iconic music moment uh, in all of lost which is uh, of course you would think that I'm saying the mama um, uh, make your own kind of music but it's actually this is just a way to get you to queue up the, the DJ Dom so we can just end up DJ time
2: everybody with me, me. Hey, yo, who you with? Who you with?
1: i was picking up what you were putting down <laughs>